Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Did you watch Spider-Man No Way Home? Well, not yet. Uh, yeah, I know it's not out yet. Um, I mean, by the time this comes out, it'll probably have been out. But when yeah, we're recording it, it... Yes, by the time... Yes, yes, because I'm very good at releasing episodes on time, is what you're saying. <laughs> that that by wasn't the time unveiled this, uh, slight or anything. By the time this episode actually gets into people's podcatchers, um, yeah, Spider-Man no, no Way Home will already be available on VHS. <laughs> uh Beta disc, yeah. Um, beta yeah, I mean, disc I'm that didn't even exist. I'm I'm conflating two things, aren't I? Laser disc and Betamax. There we yeah, go. Yeah, but I like the idea that like <laughs> I'm such as the world's oldest millennial. It's funny <laughs> to watch how like you know you you weird children of of the future are already like misremembering technology, and you'll like in in ten years you'll be making sitcoms about the nineties, and everybody will be having using like um windows brand iphones made by nokia <laughs> and watching I... <laughs> like um yeah watching friends on beta disc <laughs> uh yeah i mean that's the only way to watch it of course uh i'm i've been thinking about this actually like thinking about generational stuff uh to get started on a tangent already and you know how like you know right now like the early 2000s is like kind of in uh, I mean sure. I'm asking the wrong person I guess at this point but uh, I can tell you from being on a college campus that the early two th- or at least I'll, I'll do one step further my wife tells me that the early 2000s are in because I don't fucking know well I, I would as you know it wasn't a great time but it was better than the 90s and if we just if if the cultural regurgitation machine has like just kind of skipped over most of the 90s or moving on to the early 2000s i'm okay with that i mean there was definitely like a period of the 90s although i think it was short-lived because everyone was like "Mm, yeah pass but my question is now does this mean that if 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 we if these things happen linearly which they don't always uh are we gonna start moving into like the mid to late 2000s because now we're talking about when i was in like high school and college and I don't know if I can do that again already. Well, now you know how I felt <laughs> when all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're doing the 90s again, which is I think we're still there. Like, it's all like boxy clothes and um, uh, well, boxy clothes for dudes and like high rise jeans for girls. And no, uh, we're back to low rise jeans now, Greg. Really? Already? Yeah, already. And Ugh. like camisoles and like the chokers are starting to give way to i don't know whatever else yeah that whole like silk camisole over like heavily rhinestoned jeans thing is a uh, a look we can we can skip mm, i don't know if you're gonna get your wish on that one i never do <laughs> but i was thinking about this in the context of music because i, I was just thinking about like does this mean like like late 2000s metalcore is going to make I don't know it doesn't always circle back to like musical stuff but it sometimes kind of correlates uh I don't know I'm I'm just it's it's an interesting experience that I'm like is this going to be like our kids going to start wearing like I know it doesn't always like filter out into like alternative culture stuff it's usually like mainstream stuff like every girl looks like Britney Spears in 2002 right now uh but well I think the weird thing is going to be as we move into the mid 2000s in terms of fashion anyway um the problem is is that like a large part part of the um like the way dudes were dressing in the mid to late 2000s 
is still the way most of dudes in red America dress. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so it's going to be a weird confluence because, yeah, it's things like, you know, um, yeah, like the true religion jeans with like all the crap on the back pockets, a lot of like heavily high contrast faded jeans, boot cut jeans. Um <laughs> I mean, this is your gem, so those, I mean, when it comes to those, fashion. Those awful, uh, like, it's like a dress shirt, but it's like black and pinstriped. But there's also like a like a really weird gothic cross kind of stenciled onto it. <laughs> you know that shirt? I know that shirt. Yeah, that's still a lot of dudes going out shirt in like the middle of the country. <laughs> um, like a lot of the January 6th guys have a couple of those shirts back home that they're debating whether or not they should wear to their trial. <laughs> um, and if that comes back for like hip teens, that's that's a weird time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like these things don't really circle back to men as often for some reason, maybe because I think men's fashion tends to be a little more, to your point, like stagnant and also bad. Like, well, <laughs> no one really like did the 90s thing for men and no one's really doing the early 2000s thing for men because it's like, no one really went back to like super baggy, boxy. Uh, I mean, not as much as I see anyway. But what do I know? I'm too old to care or notice anymore. And luckily, I'm at that age where I can just give up and no one's going to judge me for it. Yeah. I mean, if we ever get to the point where the, you know, when we get to the point where like the late, the late 2000s, early 2010s um, kind of cycle back, like that's cool because I still have a lot of that shit. <laughs> that's one way to look at it <laughs> um, yeah i remember i once read a a, a a profile of some you know uh wealthy new york you know woman who basically had had rented like you know of course like an entire floor of a department built of, of, of an apartment building and just filled it with her her wardrobe from various er eras with basically the idea of like look everything just comes back around again so i just keep <laughs> it all here and then when this is back in style i just transfer i just bring in the 70s clothes <laughs> so i like that yeah no that makes sense although i don't know it's gonna vibe with your like black metal dad vibe you got rocking right now yeah i don't know it's 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 yes um i should say classy black metal dad yes there's on. probably a lot of like unclassy black metal dads i can imagine out there uh yeah i mean they probably look a lot closer to me just like the most faded band shirt you have and the jeans you've been wearing for 15 years and <laughs> yeah 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 i guess a uh, bougie black metal dad might be black metal. i love that yeah bougie black metal dad um that's a good way to look at it <laughs> anyway this is our fashion podcast <laughs> welcome <laughs> who doesn't like talk what better venue to discuss fashion than an audio medium <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure People do it. Oh, they absolutely do. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, so the last time we talked, we talked almost entirely about Dune. Mm -hmm. um, and the next time we talk, I have a feeling we're going to talk almost entirely about the man spider. Mm -hmm. So now is our chance to kind of brain dump on all of the shit that we've been engaging with that isn't Dune or the man spider. All right. I want to start by talking about Dune. Okay, let's talk about Dune. <laughs> I'm talking about the book. So I finished it last week. The The official novelization of the The of official the movie? novelization of the movie, yeah. Um, it's actually a graphic novelization of the movie. Uh, we're going to get how many steps removed can we get? 
Uh, yeah, I uh, didn't like it. The book. The book. Like the movie. Curious what the second movie is going to look like after reading the second half of this quote unquote book. What do you mean quote unquote book? All right. Okay. First of all, (laughs) I will accept. I will accept Dune wasn't for me. Here are my complaints. (laughs) I will not accept Dune is barely a novel. It is a novel. Although The second half reads like the deadline was approaching and someone decided they were going to just like make a list of bulleted paragraphs to summarize the last half of the book. That's a fair critique. Maybe last quarter of the book. The the book has some serious pacing problems. Um, which is ironic because, as I mentioned last time, like people kind of complain about the first half of the book being like a slog and it's boring and it's confusing. And I I felt like right at home. I was like, yeah, I get this. I mean, I don't love like the point of view style, but I got used to it and I can move on. And I was like, okay, yeah, political intrigue. I like this. We're getting a lot of different point of views. Like all these characters kind of have their own agenda. I like that. And it's just like, nope. Now, second half of the book, it's just Paul being weird and his mom kind of not really knowing what's going on because Paul knows what's going on. And she's just trying to guess what Paul's going on and some vague political intrigue with the Fremen. But it's very like baby's first political intrigue Mm. and all the other characters seem to no longer matter. And then Paul just kind of wins. And that's the end of the book. Yep. Uh, That's the this is fair. And I had every intention of moving on to Doom Messiah uh, and going further, but now I'm kind of like, I don't think I want to. Maybe down the road when I, the second movie comes out and there's all the Dune hype again, I'll forget about my dislike of it. But, I, you know, I just, there was like cool parts, like, you know, uh, when Paul, you know, mounts the sandworm, that was cool. Probably shouldn't frame it that way. When he rides the sandworm. <laughs> <laughs> um, his duel with, you know, Fade was cool. But like that character was just like, Kind of showed up three quarters of the way through the book and was like, I don't know. Am I important? I'm like, I don't know. Are you? And then it's like, you won't know because you won't see me again in that book when I then immediately die. I'm like, OK, cool. Uh, I just it's just some really weird, strange choices. And I'm OK for like, you know, atypical writing and stuff. But this was just like it just felt not purposeful. I don't know. It, it, it was just like not for me, maybe. And I'm curious how many people who really like Dune read it when they were like 15 and haven't read it since. And maybe need to like reread it and be like, I don't know, though. I could be wrong. Yeah. Like I say, I think that's I think that's a fair critique. I do think that um, Dune is one of those books where um, uh, it's benefited a lot from subsequent decades of like interpretation and like explanation. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those books where like, yeah, it makes once if if you go check out the wiki it makes sense uh and i think that the the ideas are interesting enough and the setting is interesting enough that a lot of people forgive some pretty pretty serious like kind of structural and pacing uh problems like you know you you've got a a big part of this story is about a person who can see the future to some degree it's never quite clear how much of the future he can see um but also he's making decisions based on the future but we as the reader don't know what that is but he's also the protagonist and our point of view character so it's really tough to understand why he's doing anything and what his motivations are yeah uh yeah uh very fair yeah, and I have to be reasonable and be like, this book came out in 1965. That's a long fucking time ago. Like, A, books were different. B, you know, this was like 
kind of a, not a first. There was other sci-fi books, obviously, but like it's pretty early. That's twelve years before Star Wars. That's I don't know how many years after Foundation stuff. I don't know, but like yeah. it's, it's a it's an earlier work in our canon of like science fiction, fantasy, you know, genre yes. stuff. So I have to be a little bit soft on it that way because like parts of it are like you know it's very forward thinking in a lot of ways, and like they said, the setting, the world building, it's all very cool. Um, so I think that's probably where it gets a pass. And I know this is a book that's like studied in college classes and blah blah blah. Like, but as a sort of just like going in a little blind without much attached to it, I'm. I'm kind of putting it in the same camp I kind of put Blade Runner for me, where it's just like, I think I just missed this. Like, I, I just think it's just too much of its time that I'm having a hard time enjoying it, even if I can respect it and yeah. like understand its worth. Does that make sense? No, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I don't think that like a lot of things, I think Dune is not necessarily like, oh, you got to you're going to love it. It's such a fun read, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is sci-fi homework in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I, I think those are fair critiques. I and you know what? I'm I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it. Um, uh, I'm sorry it was it was homework. But I'm glad that you are that you you're bailing on it now <laughs> because I know you and I know how you can be with these things. And I, I was losing sleep over the idea of. 10 years from now, you still working through the, 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 just the grimy tail end of, you know, Kevin Herbert's second cousin's 18th <laughs> novel in the series, you know, yeah. Wind Lords of Dune. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't hate it. And like, it to be honest, it didn't feel like homework. I just like the, when the book ended, I just felt very unsatisfied. I was just like, okay, yeah. Like, that was the end of it. And like, it wasn't like too hard or too slow or like too convoluted. Like it made, I followed it. It's just like, it just didn't, the second pack, second part just didn't really flow well for me. And then it didn't really have any, like had very few moments. The characters are like barely characters. And I think this is like a thing that I've realized about fiction for me. Uh, Cause I was reading a lot about the, have you watched the foundation series on nope. Apple TV? <clears throat> nope. um, I was reading reviews about it and I haven't read Foundation. It's on my list at some point. Um, but I realized that like a lot of quote unquote, we'll put it in air quotes because sci-fi, what does that even fucking mean compared to fantasy half the time? I don't even know. But a lot of sci-fi is very much built around the world building and the like the central premise or idea, right? The jumping off point, the you know, whether it's uh Foundation or Dune or Free Body Problem or, you know, these things like this where it's way less concerned with plotting and characters than it is with like, let's just yeah. kind of toy with an idea, which I get and respect, but maybe I don't love to read. Sure. Um, and because people were saying that foundation was a tough thing to adapt because characters are like kind of secondary to like the broader ideas of it. Right. And how the show was, was or wasn't kind of, you know, working around that, working through that. Yeah. I think, like I say, I, 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 these are these are fair critiques. I mean, I think that, yeah, the ending of Dune doesn't really leave you satisfied or wanting more because it's like, OK, Paul, uh, Paul has figured everything out, but he's not telling us the readers. Um, and we've spent all this time talking about how bad the whole imperial system is and how bad the colonial system is and all of this and then paul's like i've got an idea what if i was emperor right and then it's like okay but we've 
but we've never really heard what Paul's critique like the, the 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 book itself is showing us what's wrong with the system, right? What's wrong with the world? It, it kind of tells us. I'm right. not sure it's showing me very well. well but, but, but 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 like but but what I mean is that like we get that just through the book. We don't get that necessarily from Paul, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like Paul goes in and talks about oh. I see. Here's what's wrong. Here's my point of view on the issue. And that's why you, the reader, can trust me to be emperor, you know? Right. Um, you know, we don't get any if, if if this was Lord of the Rings, when when Aragorn gets to be king, we're like, ah, cool. My buddy Aragorn. He's good. I like that, you know, but um, with Dune, it's like, oh, how do I know Paul's going to be a good emperor? He's never told me what he would do differently or better or what his big plan is. Um, so it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm not really, I don't really care about, and also he doesn't really seem like, oh, this is what he always wanted, right? Right. It's like, so it's kind of this anti-climax, but also it's not this, it could be this kind of bittersweet thing of like, he realizes that, uh, or or it's this, um uh, kind of what is that 70s Robert Redford all the president's men uh, where he realizes that um, even though he thought he was going to change everything all of a sudden he realizes oh crap now I'm just a cog in a machine and none of this you know this the the the, the, the machine of the empire is going to enfold me even mm-hmm. as the emperor right that's not really there and it's like well the bad guys are dead and now other people have all these weird new superpowers that I don't there are poorly explained. It's like, why do I what was this a win? You know? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's not like, you know, typically you get to the end of a book that's in like a kind of a series and you have some some wins. But then you tease a little bit at the end of like, well, oh, you thought the bad guy but here comes the bad guy or, you know, oh, the characters got what they wanted. But, ooh, now in the, you know, in the denouement chapters, you realize, oh, maybe things aren't as good as they thought. Mm-hmm. It, this is just kind of like, ah, but Paul's the emperor now. Um, He's he's got a plan. What's his plan? Uh, mm, uh he's got a little sister, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I, and like so much happens off screen. It's so much yes. like telling, not showing, which is something I really dislike. And yeah, I just, um, I don't know. It was definitely worth reading. Uh, I'm glad I did. I'm still curious, like, is Dude Messiah better? Like, does it like, is it like, I know he, everyone says like, oh, it helps to improve the story and flesh it out. But like, I'm kind of resentful that I need to go to a sequel to do that. I honestly, I think that, uh, you know, when I think about like the general outline of the plot, I think it's better. Um, and it, it, it does kind of like clarify the themes, but I don't know if it's in any, if it's any better of a read, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And also that would also be like kind of the point where I would recommend you just kind of bail on the series anyway. Right. Because I, I think it just gets, it just gets weirder and further up its own ass the further it goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say stop here. If you (laughs) just go read the wiki, if you're curious about what happens next. Yeah, I'm just like it was I was kind of surprised because I was listening to the, you know, I'm listening, continue listening to the Brandon Sanderson podcast, Intentionally Blank, uh, which I've really been enjoying. Um, Would recommend if you. Yeah, I listened to the to their episode on Dune and I I, I did enjoy it. Like you can just feel like 
how giddy they get about Dune. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, why do you guys love this so much? Like, you can just tell that they're so invested in, like, someone, like, they mentioned Fade. They're like, oh, yeah, Fade, Fade. I'm like, this guy was, like, barely in this book. Yeah. Why do you, like, care about this guy That's, so much? It's, it's a, a little bit of Boba Fett syndrome there where I'm like, yeah, he's 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 not really there. And, yeah. Yeah. So I think, once again, it's just, like, it's one of those things that, you know, I think that for a lot of folks, like, it was, you know, probably sitting on your teacher's shelf in, at least for people of, like, more like our broader generation, less viewing it as like this, you know, important work in the stepping stone canon of sci-fi fantasy, but like more so just like how people stumbled upon it. You probably read it when you're younger and it was like this crazy new world that you had an experience and, you know, maybe even learned about it in college. If you're one of these guys who was like in a creative writing program or something. So you probably value a lot, but well, I mean, it's like it's like we all love some flawed shit, you know, Oh, I'm not saying that like people can't <laughs> like this. I just think I'm just I'm just trying to understand why. Right. Like, there's a lot well, of things I understand, like why people like something, even if I don't like it, which I try and do. Right. And I think I, I, I think it with, with anything where, you know, for you to for you to read Dune for the first time at this stage in your, for lack of a better word, career as a sci fi and <laughs> fantasy reader. Like, yeah, I can definitely see it falling flat in a lot of ways um, because. It's one of those things where like, yeah, like the last 60 years of sci-fi and fantasy writing is built on this, you know? Right. It's like me trying to listen to the Beatles or Elvis. I'm like, right. It's boring. I don't care. Exactly. And coming at it at this stage where you've read so much other stuff that it's, you know, it's easier for you to see the holes in it, see the flaws and, uh, Versus, you know, somebody who maybe, you know, it, look, if this is one of the first sci-fi or fantasy books you read, either because of when it came out or just when you happen to stumble across it, you know, it might have a bigger impact on you. Like, I think it did on me. Like, I read that pretty early on in my, like, <laughs> reading career. Sure. Um. So, like, yeah, it had a much bigger impact on me because... A lot of the tricks that it pulled, it was the first time I had seen those on the page. You know, Mm -hmm. it was the first time I had like dealt with this idea of like, um, you know, you know, kind of probability based future vision and uh, the whole, you know, the more um, political intrigue, you know, heavy, uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown kind of stuff was, you know, some of the first time I'd seen that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can, it's totally everything you're saying is absolutely reasonable. Yeah. Can I be you for a little longer and like talk about something else I didn't like? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I finished all the uh, Witcher books. Mm hmm. Did not like them. They were bad. <laughs> I I don't know if there's like a translation thing going on, you know, um, but I read I read read those and I look at, you know, Witcher three, like the video game. And I'm like, how did that inspire this? I'm like, I just don't even see how you got from like point A to point B in that. And, you know, at most, I would say people could read like the initial two, one or two short story collections that kind of start the series that moves into then a, I remember it's five or six book, like, you know, serial arc. Um, But some of the same complaints is doing like, not the same complaints, but just so much just gross. It's like, A, it's gross. Like. Every single person is either trying to fuck Siri or kill her the entire book series, which just gets like really trite really quickly. And like, I'm okay with like a dark, gritty world. Like 
right? Game of Thrones, like that. You know what I mean? But just like literally every single character is just right. like, ooh, I'm going to murder slash rape you in maybe reverse order. doesn't matter. Like There has to be some other threats involved. Right. Like once the series starts, you don't really get to see Geralt kill any monsters. Huh. Which is like a baffling choice. And I think the kind of idea is like, well, this is Geralt going on his destiny, which is not killing monsters. It's, you know, protecting Siri and saving the world, blah, 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 which is fine. But I still feel like you can throw in some monsters in there since like kind of that's his deal. Um, Geralt is like a fo- like when we're with Geralt, I'm like, OK, I- I'm I'm into this. And when we're with Siri, besides the, you know, grossness, like I'm into that. The book spends so much time not with them. <laughs> And they're in you know, the point of view characters of people in Redania and people in Tamaria and people in Nilfgaard and blah, blah, blah. And it's like the books kind of seem to want to move into more of like a Game of Thrones style. Like and I think it came out before that. But, you know, just for reference, uh, like, you know, political intrigue, these competing kingdoms, blah, blah, blah. But like none of them have any soul or character or differentiation. So you're just like, I don't really know or care what's going on. And it doesn't really matter to me about any of this stuff. So and like the little what I did like is like the little ensemble, little crew that Geralt kind of assembles much to his chagrin because he's the lone wolf, you know, like uh, that crew was fun. Like there's a final kind of climactic scene where they storm a castle and rescue Siri. Like that was a great series of events. Like but everything you kind of think the books are, they just aren't like compared to me playing the game, I guess. And even compared to the first season. I did like seeing, you know, I'm so in the framework of thinking about adaptation right now, which we'll get to. But, you know, seeing how they took those kind of like initial short story arcs and first part of the books and like mixed them all up and made them into the show. Like that was a cool kind of process to see what they focused on, what they didn't. But I don't know, man. I just don't. People seem to really like these books and I just don't get it. I just did not get it. They're paced really strangely. Like I said, you know, you go like 200 pages without seeing Geralt. At least it felt that way, which like. Seems too long. <laughs> and Siri truly is a main character and she's, you know, she's cool in the books, but it's also just like, uh, not that I need Sanderson style, like magic systems, but like, w- you know, Siri's powers are quite ill-defined and mm. very confusing. At like one point she's like in our world, hanging out with Lancelot and you're like, what's going on exactly? Mm. <laughs> and just things like that. So, and like Jennifer is like really uninspiring, which like she's such a, for lack of a better term, just like badass in the game, you know, and she's just so in control. And even, you know, that first season of the series, but I don't know, it just, it just, it does not treat its women very well. You know, like the women are just like constantly just like beaten, tortured and whatever. And it's just like, ugh, I don't well, know. And that's the thing of like, and that's, you know, maybe I think that there's something here about, you know, Dune as well, where it's sometimes the, the magic is in the, you know, is in the world building or is in the characters or is in the, you know, the the, the kind of the vibe and the mood of the thing. Uh, but the person who did all that is a shitty storyteller <laughs> or um, or uh, doesn't have an interesting point of view. Right. Mm hmm. Um, you know, they're checking some of the boxes, but not all of them. And sometimes it could be that something like The Witcher, like it's actually taken, uh, you know, a couple layers of adaptation, right? Like first the games and now the show, which borrows from the games to some extent, right? Mm hmm. Um, it's kind of the third generation or second generation adaptation for other people to look at it and to say, 
here's all the stuff that's great about The Witcher, the world building, the characters, the general vibe, right? The kinds of stories you can tell in this world. But the stories themselves, you know, they're not that great. How can we take these elements and add in some great storytelling or add in more of an interesting point of view and really like round this thing out? And maybe you could argue that Dune has similar problems and perhaps the new movies are fixing some of those, right? Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. Um, Now, and this is also one of the things that the Game of Thrones show could not do because the people making it just stopped giving a shit um, or they ran out of source material where it's like, hey, the problem with the problem with A Song of Ice and Fire is it's got to the, the books have got to a point where they have chased their own tail so much and indulged so many side stories that now we can't we can we can't get back to the central plot. Right. The show right. could be like, that's the main problem here. And we have to work on solving that. Like we had from episode one, we have to be building towards solving that problem. They didn't <laughs> <laughs> because they like all of us were sweet summer children who thought that George George R. R. Martin was going to finish the books. Well, that and I mean, I don't know if you recently saw, but there was some I don't know if it's a rumor or confirmed, but basically that like when when the determination came out that the season was that the show was ending after eight seasons, apparently like. Martin flew to New York to be like or wherever and was like, can we can we please make it 10? Like, can we do this in 10? And HBO was like, we want to, but they don't want to. And so I think what you said about them not giving a shit is definitely uh, part of the issue. But yeah, no, I mean, I think in, you know, we can roll, we can go right there right now if you want. I mean, think about adaptation and how you how you take something that's big and sprawling and has issues you know what we're talking about, right, Greg? Uh, I guess I guess we got to talk about Wheel of Time, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. So I guarantee you've guarantee you've watched more episodes of this show than I have. True. I'm already considering starting like the the your unnecessary like rewatch during the season is coming out process, like you did with what did you do that with The Witcher? I think you did that with or something. Um, where you uh, start rewatching it before it even ends. Maybe I don't. Remember. <laughs> I did I did do. Something like that, where I was very... Yeah, I don't remember what show that was, where I was just like, oh, this is fucking awesome. It might have been The Witcher, yeah. I think it was. Um, which, speaking of, we get... I mean, as of now, it's Monday, uh, December 13th. The new season comes out on Friday. No shit. Yeah. So, it's a nerd heaven right now, Greg. I get Witcher season two this week. I get an episode of Hawkeye and an episode of The Expanse and an episode of Wheel of Time every week right now. It's just... Wow. It's, it's good right now. You are you're really living the dream. I really am. Um, but yeah, so uh, how much have you watched? Uh, the first episode. OK, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll maybe we'll pause this and you have some homework over break. Yeah. And uh, once it's it, the f- finale is on Christmas Eve. So okay. perfect time for you to take I a might, day. I might try to I might try to power through some of it. I um, I've been I've been. I've been powering through kill a kill right now and I I'm nearly at the end. Um, and I think I could probably like, I enjoyed the first episode enough that I, I feel like I could keep watching wheel of time. I will say that after the first episode, I didn't, I wasn't like, all right, let's, I got to see the next one. 
yeah. didn't quite grab me. I will say, like, I'm like, hey, this is good, and there's some interesting things in here. There's some very annoying things in here, too, mm-hmm. but not enough where I'm like, oh, fuck this show. Um, but it didn't it didn't grab me enough where I was like, oh, yeah, let's see where this is fucking going. Yeah, no, it, I think the first episode is arguably the worst of the season. I think I've liked every episode. There's six episodes out now as of this recording. Um, six out of eight. I've liked every episode successful successively more than the last one. Hmm. Um, and episode six was my favorite so far. And it definitely is. It like has kind of a stumbled start, I'd say. And there's people, you know, said like, oh, it's supposed to be a two hour premiere and they had to cut it down. It had to be this or that. I mean, I think I don't know why they hamstrung themselves with eight episodes. I think that was like a huge mistake um, for a new show like this, that they really have to kind of hook viewers. Mm-hmm. The saving grace is going to be that they greenlit the second season like really early and they've been filming it since like early 2021. I think they're already done. I think it's just like in post-production. So like there's a lot of talk saying it could come out as soon as like February, which I think would be like or at least Q1 sometime. So. I think that'd be really smart because I think if you if you wait too long after this first season, you're going to lose a lot of people. Yeah. Where if you're just like months too later, you're like, here's the second season. Like, I think people will be like, oh, OK, yeah, I remember what's going on here, Um, especially since they have a Lord of the Rings show coming out in the fall of next Oof. year. And two big high fantasy shows on at the same time might get, you know, a little bit might be com- committing some, you know, might cannibalizing your audience a little bit there for which one you're watching. So if they can kind of pace them out differently so that maybe Lord of, maybe will times like an late winter or early spring show and Lord of the Rings is a fall show like you might do a little better. So anyway, and I hope that because of the green light, like hopefully they get more episodes. Hopefully they get uh, I mean, they have a huge budget, but I don't know where they're spending. I mean, I see where they're spending it some places, but there's definitely some areas where it's like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, as opposed to Game of Thrones, where I don't know, that first season, man, like it's just like it looks so good <laughs> for you know overwhelmingly but i will say this i will say uh i like what they're doing i would recommend as you move through it there is a um sanderson did a podcast episode about it recently with his you know with his co-host because he his relationship is very interesting to it because he's a consulting producer mm-hmm. um so basically he says all that amounts to in this capacity is he was sent all the scripts at various points and kind of just like sent back his notes talk to the showrunner back and forth a little bit about those notes. He did go and visit the set and everything. He said that was basically just a publicity stunt. The interesting thing though, is he has in his contract, he's like, I didn't even ask for this. I mean, no, he guess he did ask for it. He said that I want free reign to say what I want about this show. Cause a lot of like producing contracts Hmm. mean like you have a clause that says like, you can't say negative things about this stuff publicly. And he doesn't have that in his contract. He's like, so I can say whatever I want about this. He's like, I do genuinely really like it. And he also does big write-ups on Reddit. He has like first three episodes, I think, so far, like of like what the notes he gave on the episode and what they listened to and what they didn't listen to. So there's some kind of like interesting behind the scenes sausage stuff going on from his perspective. But a lot of the ways that he framed the show and talked about the changes they're making and the idea behind the changes and kind of as someone who knows the series probably better than any other living human being since he had to finish it, um, you know, how he kind of sees the framing of the the themes and the framing of the the books and then how that's being applied in the show. And it is, is interesting. Um, I think that the strengths of the show, if people haven't watched yet, like the cast is really good. Uh, there's some really stunning visuals. There's also some like questionable visuals mm-hmm. and 
props slash uh, effects. Not like most of them aren't bad. The majority are pretty good, but there's definitely some ones you're just like, ooh, I don't know about that. Um, obviously, there's a lot more like high fantasy nonsense than in like a initial Game of Thrones yeah, or whatever. But I think I, I so one of the things I really like was some of the ambition in the uh, production design. Um, like one of the, I, I really liked that it felt like they were going for a a fantasy world that, uh, you know, uh, above and beyond just the kind of the, um, you know, multi multi ethnic casting. Right. Um, that really isn't uh, that is really divorced from our own world to a certain extent. Like, you know, you watch a lot of fan like so take the Witcher, for example, very obviously the Witcher takes place in a proxy for uh, Central and Eastern Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously. Like, I'm not saying that this place is Italy, but this place is Italy, you know? Um, or it, also Game of Thrones. Even though Westeros is, you know, its own thing, it's very, like, it's they're very clear analogs for uh, historical areas that, you're familiar with right like they've got their version of the mediterranean they've got their version of north africa they've got um you know they've got westeros which is basically the british isles Mm -hmm. you know um and but the wheel of time setting it seems like they're really trying like in terms of the the costuming the architecture the music to really make this feel like a different thing, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, I think there are some parts that don't quite work for me, um, but it's almost like a fantasy, you know, a, a fantasy world that is like set on a different planet, right? Like this is somebody else's, uh, some other, some other planets like uh, fantasy history, you know? Mm-hmm. I like that. I think that's really interesting. Um, I and there are some parts that don't quite work for me, like the music. It's you know is it's it's the the uh, and the diegetic music. So the actual like like the music that they're that the minstrels are playing at the festival, right? It's a little too like Americana e. Mm-hmm. Like it jumped out to me. I was like, that's a little that's not, not quite right. I like what you're doing. I like that you're mixing all these things to really make this feel like something else. Right. That this isn't just the fucking Shire again, you know. Right. Um, a lot of it doesn't quite land. And that's true for a lot of things in the show that just doesn't quite land. But I like that. I like that ambition. Yeah. And I think that, you know, like I said, the cast is good. The performances are really good over like overall. Um I think that what they're doing to kind of restructure, reframe some of the things from the books and also like accelerate a bunch of stuff while ditching a bunch of stuff. Like, I think all of it is smart. Like you you can see kind of from like, if you know the books, I mean, it's been years since I've read them over 10 years and I'm literally just downloaded them last night. I'm like, am I really doing this? Am I going to start reading these goddamn books again? I think I am. Hmm. And but even with my vague memory of like the broader, broader plot points, it's like, Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. And like, it's smart. Like what the showrunner is doing to try and not get in a Game of Thrones situation. And, you know, he said, like, I have a plan for eight seasons. Like, this is what I want to do. That's a, a reasonable amount of episodes to get or, you know, reasonable seasons to get for like a premiere television show like this. Amazon says it's their best streaming debut ever. It's their most popular show right now. So hypothetically, you know, they should get it. I mean, fucking Walking Dead's on what? season 15 with 
two, three spinoff shows or whatever. So like it's not eight, eight seasons is not an unreasonable thing. And probably also like Game of Thrones, like they got eight seasons. We can probably get eight seasons. Um, Expanse got six seasons. Like that's not unreasonable amount. 14 seasons is an unreasonable amount to think you're going to get if you're trying to go like book per season, which is not going to work for this. Well, and so, I mean, is anybody going to stay with it that long? Right. You're going to lose actors. You're going to people are going to age out. You know, it's do you need all of that? Um, I mean, I like the idea that like they're coming in with a uh, they're coming in with a plan like this is how I'm pacing it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I I much prefer that rather than like oh, let's we'll do it as long as we can do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that like I'm surprised they've kept in, and stuff that I'm like very much in agreement that like oh it's a good thing you cut this. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're doing some interesting things. Like I think on a second watch, I'm going to be a little more perceptive. There's the one character that you see very briefly in um, his name's Patton Fane. He's the guy who sells Matt, yeah, the, the trinkets or whatever. Yep. He's kind of an important character in the books, but also not like he's kind of important early and he's in all the books to the very end. But he kind of becomes like super inconsequential. At least one of the few plot lines. Where I'm just like, I don't know what he was planning to do with this, but it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And I come, I'm surprised I just didn't cut that, cut him or merge him with somebody else, which is still possible, I guess. But this isn't really a spoiler. But later on, when they're in like the city, they go to for a while. You can see him like multiple times in the background. Like I only spotted him once, but people I saw on the subreddit said like you can see him kind of hmm. lurking around in the crowd and watching our heroes like three or four times. So I'm like, that is an interesting thing to do. And like, I want to see if there's other things I'm like kind of not seeing right away. But hmm. definitely reframing the show around where is like very interesting and different um, than having to be totally focused on like the kiddos. Yeah. Um, and I like a little bit of, you know, and I, I didn't, I never even finished the first book. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to like, you know, I might be, I might be saying, oh, they changed this when you might say like, oh, no, that's, that's the way it was in the book too. You're just, your brain's broken, uh, which it might be, but like, I like that there's a little bit of, at least after the first episode, a little bit of mystery of like, should we be trusting this Moraine lady? Like, she's definitely going to kill one or all of these kids. <laughs> but she's also a good guy. But also, they just left the whole village to just fucking die. Um, they were just like, ah, yeah, fuck it. We got to get these magical babies out of here. And the rest of these chumps, ah, uh, who cares? You know, like... That's like, there's definitely some, I, I, I like that, you know, like, I mean, the bad guys are clearly monster bad guys, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure I should be trusting the quote unquote good guys either. But also one of these kids might be the devil. Um, or Jesus. Sure. <laughs> devil Jesus. Um, so like, I like the way that it, there's some of this is like a little, you know, there's shades of gray in an interesting way. Like it, it, it's, you know, Game of Thrones did the whole like shades of gray, but more in a political way, you know, like ah, people are gonna have to make some tough choices, you know, and but that's the way power works. But this is a little bit more like I'm not sure. I'm not sure who's good, you know, yeah, or, or, or I'm not sure how good the good guys actually are. Yeah, I definitely think they injected a good dose of like skepticism about Orion. like it's kind of present in the books there's kind of a vibe you get where it's like like people think I said I are like good guys overall but that like if you get too close you might get burnt kind of thing right like they just view you as like a tool kind of situation and so that's like definitely like ramped up a little bit 
but the but the but the books also I feel like or at least the book or at least the chapters of the books the book that I read uh yeah like there's definitely that vibe of like oh the the you know the normal folk don't trust the Aes Sedai but Moraine is one of the good ones you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I feel like that vibe gets established pretty quickly but at least in the show it's like we know that she's somewhat apart from the rest of the Aes Sedai we don't know to what degree but we're also don't we're also not committing to the idea that like oh yeah no she's she's cool she's she's basically just Gandalf with tits you can trust her you know (laughs) yeah it's a good move because and it kind of this is what I was talking about when it comes to like kind of incorporating dynamics and themes and even plot points from later in the series kind of earlier to try and like accelerate and not have to do that work later yeah you know like there's a lot of distrust of Moraine later because she's just she keeps it so she's so like conspiratorial. Like she doesn't tell people what's going on. She's just like Rand or whoever you need to do X, Y, Z. And he's like, you're not my mom. <laughs> and like Lefnir runs away, basically. Great. Um, And that's like a dynamic they have. And we don't ever get Moraine's point of view ever. So it's like we don't really know. So like having the show kind of have her points of view at different points or not, like it is interesting. And I kind of like it and it's different for sure. But, um, I will say this. Uh, I, I, I'm never gonna, that guy's, that dude is never going to not be Bruce Bolton. (laughs) I'm sorry. I know that they want me to love him and feel bad that he might die. (laughs) <laughs> and I know he's got like he's like the best fantasy dad that ever fantasy dadded, but like yeah. nope, that's that's Bruce fucking Bolton. Yeah, it's such a troll move. He's just like it, he really is. Like Tam is like the best fantasy dad of yeah. all time, um, and it's just like you cast just like this guy who is just oh, it's so miserable. The the worst fantasy dad of all time <laughs> in a in a fantasy world full of really bad dads. Yes, that is correct. Bruce Bolton might have been the worst. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, so that was a I mean, it feels like such a troll choice. I mean, at least at least Tywin Lannister cared about Casterly Rock. Right. Right. <laughs> and like kind of about keeping the seven kingdoms intact. Kind right. of. Like he, he at least at least cared about something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I'm curious to see the last episodes. I think I was really nervous about the pacing of the first eight and where they left off episode six. I'm like, OK, they're going to get there. Um, it helps that they're like out like full hour long episodes. I think I kind of missed that the first time around. Like these aren't like, quote unquote, hour long television where it's actually 43 minutes or whatever. It's like properly an hour. Yeah. So, so that kind of makes up for missing an episode or two, but which I think would be necessary. So. But yeah, so anyway, we'll we'll come back to that later when we once you watch it and uh, can debrief a little bit. So anyway, I've dominated this uh, the start of this episode. So what do you want to talk about, Greg? I want to talk about video game. Oh, OK. I can actually talk about two video games for once, too. So you go first. Well, I um I got a PlayStation 5. Oh, did you? I did um i basically had been like so i mean i'm sure anybody who's listened to this fucking podcast knows that uh, playstation 5s are pretty difficult to to get right now um uh like most things in the consumer electronic space right now like yeah short supply um uh but anyway i've been you know i've i've known that and i've been like yeah look i'm you know, ever since the thing was announced, I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking get one eventually. You know, it's um, it's just a question of like, 
typically when a new console comes out, my thing is like, well, I'm a wait. Well, OK, intellectually, I'm like, I'm a wait till the till there's the, the system selling game for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Which typically is either a Metal Gear or, uh, you know, Soulsborne from software game. You know, I was like, that's that's my thing. But then as it was, you know, as the shortages for the PS5 were wearing on and you're starting to see reports like even Sony is getting out there and being like, yeah, this is probably the way it's going to be for like the next couple years. Right. I was like, well, I probably just want to be like ready to pull the trigger on this thing whenever I get a chance, because I might not have the luxury of. Well, when Elden Ring, which is the next from software game comes out, I'll just be able to grab a PS5 when the game I want. So it's, you know, so I was like, all right, just start socking the money away. And then when I cross the threshold, then it's just time to find one. And so I found a Telegram channel where they're like, we, you know, the so I'd get like real time notifications of stock alerts. And, you know, uh, I managed to snag one from Amazon and I got a PS5. Nice. So, um, but then I was confronted with the problem of I have the system. So cool. What games can I get? Oh, there's no games. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're telling me is there's Demon Souls, which great. I've, I've, you know, that's the first game in, you know, kind of establishing the Soulsborne world. And like, it was like a PS3 game. And I, you know, and I and it never was really re-released, but they basically rebuilt the thing from the ground up for the PS5. So I was like, of course, of course, I'm getting that. So I got that. But then I'm like, well, what else do I want? Because, you know, the, the Soulsborne games, your 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 Dark Souls, your Bloodborns, your Sekiro's like I love those games, uh, but they can also be very frustrating. And it's not at all an instant gratification type of game, right? It is a bang your head against this boss for three weeks type of game, which suits me just fine when I'm in a certain mood. But I also sometimes just want to like, just like pick up a game and have an hour worth of fun and then walk away. Uh, and uh, didn't quite find one. <laughs> but oh, no. in the process, I found... Uh, a game that is I had my doubts about um, because I'd heard some kind of middling reviews of it. Um, but it's a game called Deathloop, which is a bad name for a game. Uh, although I will say that it is stylized in uh, in game as Deathloop in quotation marks. Um, it's got a really neat kind of aesthetic that is kind of like 60s, 70s black exploitation. But also a little bit of like 60s, 70s spy movie, kind of in the vein of Archer, where it's a little bit self-aware. Um, and it's made by um, made by the same studio that makes um, that made the Dishonored series, which um, which I loved. Um, and Dishonored was um, one of the things that's so amazing about the Dishonored games was the setting like the world they built, um, uh, it, it's kind of this like um, steampunk isn't the right word, um, but like it's this, you know, kind of Victorian level of technology. But there's also magic, but the magic might be coming from whales that they're harvesting for their oil and other bits. And um, but like the world, like the city that the first game takes place in Dunwall is like so clearly rendered and so good like the level of world building is like you know like on par with 
like you could write an award-winning sci-fi or, or fantasy series in this world um and it would be amazing and also they put a really good video game in it the studio is called arcane um but anyway they made these dishonored games love the dishonored games and then there's this death loop thing and you know i'm like ah, i like this studio but i'm hearing some mixed some kind of mixed reviews um and at least in like the trailers i watched for the game i was like i don't know this 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 kind of a little bit jokey kind of 60s 70s vibe i don't know guys this doesn't this isn't quite adding up for me um but then i was like oh whatever i this is a game with shooting in it and um you know arcane developed it so i'll take a chance holy shit is death loop amazing oh yeah um so the general so the setting is this island called black reef right so uh it's a mysterious island um but imagine so imagine the fire festival right <laughs> uh-huh. except the island that the fire festival takes place on is in a is in a one-day time loop that resets itself every day or every morning the so groundhog day palm springs fire festival yes um so this this island apparently and and a lot of this is revealed as you go. You know, you kind of figure not only figure out the nature of the world, but also like what you have to do to progress the game. Um, so everybody on the island. So there is these like uh, six or seven, quote unquote, visionaries who are kind of like the influencers who are kind of running various elements of it. Um, and they're all weirdos. And then there's all these people who it seems like have come to this island for consequence free mayhem because you can murder and be murdered and then you're all just wake up the next morning and the world has reset right um and you basically wake up on this island and you um you uh you basically have to figure out like what the fuck is going on and you know you wake up basically as the central character you have amnesia but um but it's really cool because there's this this mechanic of the loop not only is like the narrative setting, but it's also the um, it's also a lot of the game mechanics because what because the world resets itself and like, yeah, I'm playing it and I'm like, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on kind of a good run because like you die and then you basically the world resets. Right. So mm. it's a little bit run based, like a roguelike like a roguelike, game, yeah. a little bit um, because when you die, you wake up at the loop resets. But then what also happens is once the like once the day ends in game, the loop resets. So you have to figure out how to basically accomplish the central goal of the game, which obviously is to kill all the visionaries. You have to do it all in one day. Um, so it's not, you know, run based in in this. So it, it's it adds that ticking clock element. And it's not an actual clock like it doesn't the the. Um, the day doesn't progress in real time. It's more like, you know, it's like when you when you leave this area to go to another area, it's like we're it's by the way, when you when you load out of this area, it's going to progress from morning to noon, you know, like so the first time I'm like, I you know, I was um, and it's a little bit stealth based. It's a little bit of that kind of play your own way. Deus Ex kind of idea, like there's multiple ways to approach the objectives and, you know, like one of the things the Dishonored games were famous for was like, yeah, basically the, the structure of the game is you have to assassinate like six people. Right. And, but it's possible 
at every single one to do that non-lethally. Like there are there are paths through the game where you can be like, um, where, yeah, you could assassinate him and make it look like an accident. You could just walk into their ba- bedroom and shoot him in the face with a crossbow or you could arrange for them to be kidnapped and and spirited away to another island. And, you know, like there's all these different ways to approach it. So, you know, that that's a, where a lot of the fun of the gameplay is, you know, kind of discovering the different ways to approach things. But um, I'm playing through the game and like, you know, at this point, it's like it's nighttime, but I haven't I as the player haven't figured out the whole loop resetting thing. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm getting some cool powers and like I'm getting these awesome weapons. Um, and then I'm like, I'm in this one area and it's like, okay, you achieved your objective. You can, you know, go back to your base and reset the loop or, you know, you can just continue to goof around. And like, you know what? I got, I got a bunch of weapons here. I just got this cool new power. You know what? I'm gonna fucking try to kill the visionary who, whatever, try to stop me game. Um, and then like, I, I killed him in kind of a cheesy way by like probably exploiting like turrets in a way I wasn't supposed to, but it's kind of that open world feeling of like, oh man, I think I'm. I'm sequence breaking right now, aren't I? Yeah, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but whatever. I I just did it. Cool. Give me that power. All right. Great. I got a new power. I just killed a boss. Like I'm sitting on top of the world. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to go load out of this area. And it's like, oh, hey, the loop reset. So yeah. uh, you just lost all of your weapons, all of your powers. And that boss is alive again. <laughs> oh, no. But like, but the amazing thing is like, that's that's also the game teaching you the mechanics And right after that, it's like, okay, now the next thing is, hey, maybe there might be a way, you know, in the, you know, hey, if you go check out what this scientist is doing, you might find a way to like carry over some of those weapons you found into your next loop. Mm. Oh, and then and then it's and then, you know, the game kind of reveals itself here because I guess I'm I'm basically at the end of what could be considered the tutorial stage of the game. Right. Uh, Where it's like, all right, so. In order for you to break the loop, you have to kill all the visionaries in one day. You're going to have to figure out how to do that um, without dying. Uh, and without running out of time. Basically, the game is like forcing you into like a perfect, no, like no deaths boss boss rush. It's a really clever premise. But the, but the way that they do this in in a way that also is like really like narratively cohesive and interesting and like you know it's like a it's like a run based thing where you're like ah oh, fuck that was so cool like where I'm thanking the game for like stripping me of all my guns and powers and being like oh that was so fucking cool that they just did that oh I get it now you know it's it's so good and and so well put together too like the 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 vibe of it the the character you play as um uh colt like at first he's a little grating but then like um he's actually a lot of fun he's got a personality that um i haven't seen in a lot of games like he really feels like fully developed and unique um and there's just like some really fun little bits because sometimes he's like this like a little bit a little bit trying too hard macho kind of guy <laughs> um but then there's other parts like you know how in a game where like your character gets hurt and um there's always those little like vocalizations of like ah you know mm-hmm. like there's sometimes where like he like does these little like, like kind of like embarrassingly girly yelps like ah when <laughs> he like gets surprised or like you get some like minor damage or something um which is just like really hilarious and cute and kind of like endearing um uh and then there's this other character named Juliana who is kind of like your nemesis but maybe also your ex-girlfriend and she like clearly knows more about you about the whole situation than you do and is like kind of stalking you through the game 
Um, and there's a lot of like interesting interplay between them. I mean, the, the game opens with her stabbing you in the chest with a machete. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but then like later on, like, like new game plus mode is, and they, this is all in the title screen. So this isn't like a spoiler is you play as Juliana invading the games of other players, trying to stop them from breaking the loop, which I'm huh. like, I can't fucking wait to get to that point. Yeah. I like that sort of asymmetrical thing that that's becoming more common. Like, yeah, like, you you know, things like um, it's kind of introduced with like uh, like Left 4 Dead 2 with like, yeah, you, know, you can control the monsters. And then like, was it like Dead Before Daylight? Like stuff like that, where like, you know, you it's I like the asymmetrical verse mode or interaction stuff is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm I'm just like, I'm in love with this game. Uh, it's it's just it's doing it's really hitting all of the. um uh it's hitting all of the notes for me it's it's like the environmental storytelling the like really unique vibe and feel the well-developed characters like this really really good like um synchronicity between like the game mechanics and the narrative you know it's not just like uh it's a it's a shooter and here's the story we're trying to tell and and whatever you're going to shoot a bunch of stuff until you get to the next cutscene, you know but like um it's just really, really fucking good. And um, and I'm really glad I gave it a chance. That's awesome. I'll have to keep an eye on it when it goes on sale at some point. It sounds like fun, although I'm always like super like not a roguelite person because it's, I hate doing the things ending over and over again. But it sounds like this is like playing with that idea and having fun with it, which I can probably get behind. Yeah. And the good news is that like, yeah, it's 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 got that roguelike thing. But um but the way that like, uh, you know, uh, the, the way that the arcane games like really have like there are a bunch of different approaches you can take. You can take the stealthy approach. You can take the guns blazing approach. And all of them are, are actually really viable. Like the none of the shooting is all that difficult. The weapons are generally powerful enough that like if that's the if that's the path you want to take, go it, it'll work. Right. Um, and um do you find that there's like a, I think a lot of games that offer a lot of options, there tends to be kind of one or two options that are just like either objectively better or just so much path of least resistance that you kind of find yourself naturally falling into it. Kind of like the archer slash sneak combo in Skyrim or, you know, I'm kidding about examples, but you know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, I think that like if you can find if you can get a really OP gun early on, um, that can take you pretty far because um, uh, but it does seem like that and I'm still pretty early, but it does seem like there are going to be certain things that like so that like, you know, with every time the world resets, the visionaries are all going to be back to where they they start the loop. And it does seem like in the only way you're going to be able to accomplish it is if you manage to like get some of them in the same place at the same time, which is going to involve some like problem solving uh, opposed to just like, look, I I found the path to the good gun and I'm just going to get that gun and then I'm just going to boom, 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 boom. And then I'm done. Like, I don't you know what I mean? I think that there's um, uh, right now it feels a little bit like it could be weighted a little too much towards like, eh, just do the shooting, the stealth stuff you can get by. But actually, it seems like it's it's because in the Dishonored games, it was definitely biased towards stealth. Like that was the like, yeah, you can go in guns blazing, but like, uh, can you? Mm-hmm. Um, you got to be real good to get yeah, it done, right? 
um this really feels like it's 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 less like oh you choose your style of play and more to like you choose how to approach any particular problem in the game right there's multiple paths and any particular problem you might have to solve one option might be a little bit better but all are equally viable and equally accessible to you you know yeah um i'll keep my eye out for that Uh, um gonna keep my eye on some steam sales over the holidays and things for some new games i'm also gonna keep this out see if cyberpunk is maybe finally like reasonable to play and give that a go if i can finally a game yeah we'll see uh that's cool though yeah i highly recommend deathloop got uh at least based on the first couple hours (laughs) but i i mean arcane has really i'm a big fan of their work uh at least in the dishonored series so I, i i trust they're gonna keep it going excellent I'm glad you found a game to play on your PS5 that makes you happy. Yes. I mean, it's not that Demon's Souls wasn't making me happy, but it's that thing of like, uh, oof, it's a it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, getting into one of those games is a lot. And sometimes you just want to be like, I'm just going to jump in here and goof around. And um, and there is something like about the um, the narrative nature of the death loop thing of like, it's a loop and everything resets, you know, of like, because sometimes in stealth games, And I love stealth games, but there's this there's this tension of, you know, um, you know, so like take the Splinter Cell games where you're there's all this narrative setup of you're this like incredibly like you're a ghost and you're the most like the most dangerous man in the world. And and no one has ever seen you coming and live to tell the tale, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then you're, you're finishing a lot of missions just like you know, accidentally tripping an alarm and then shooting 50 guys and limping out of the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you feel like I'm like, I know I beat the mission, but I feel like I kind of like fucked up the story of the game. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but with this, it's like there's because with, even within the narrative of the game and it's a very narrative driven, very character driven game. Like you feel like, look, even if I fuck this up royally, I haven't really like screwed up the narrative of the game. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm staying true to the spirit of the game. Like if I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to use this run to like try to get as far into this complex as I think I can get. I don't care if I die. I don't care how many alarms I trip. I just need to know if there's a rocket launcher at the end of that hallway, you know? (laughs) And you're like, that's fine. You, the, the narrative of the game gives you permission to do that. You don't feel like you're cheating or you're you're kind of stepping outside the game if you want to do something like that, which I really, really like. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think it's always a hard balance to find in games like that, that like making the narrative fit, but also giving you the freedom to do that while also not railroading you into certain um, certain paths or certain gameplay styles when it contains all of them. Yeah, yeah. But while also making all of them equally like rewarding, that's like a hard line to kind of kind of toe, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm playing a game, Greg. Uh huh. Did you ever play Control? Oh, I did play Control. I'm playing Control right now. How far into Control are you? I'm. I think I'm like pretty far. I just finished the section. I mean, this is like a mild spoiler, I guess. But where you get the janitor gives you like the headset and you go through like the reality warping thing with like metal blaring. Uh-huh. And I was yeah. like, okay, this part's awesome. <laughs> um the uh what is it, the ashtray maze or the something? Ashtray like maze, yeah. Um which yeah, I stumbled okay. across earlier in the game and spent far too long trying to figure out what the maze was before realizing that I'm just going in a circle. And <laughs> Right. And and yeah, no, that there is a little bit of I would say a game design problem there because it's definitely like, yeah, you there is a there is a moment in the game where like you you need this this item 
to like traverse this and the game never tells you right right like oh so you're just, like you're not supposed to be here yet yeah like because the game is usually pretty good at gating you from stuff until you yeah. can do it or be there so that was kind of strange I'm like oh what's this place this looks like it goes someplace interesting i'm just like i don't fucking know right and, yeah um, i spent days before i just fucking googled it and was like oh thanks guys yeah i, I don't spend a lot of time like i give myself about that was the one exception because I was like, I can figure this out because I don't want to just like Google the puzzle because that feels shitty. But like sometimes if I'm in like an objective space and I'm like in, in any game and I'm like spend more than like 10 minutes trying to figure out how to do it or trying to find one mundane thing. I'm like, I'm fucking Googling this. I'm not spending yeah. 30 minutes walking, ambling around, trying to see what platform I can and can't jump on or whatever. Right. And 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 sometimes and for me, it's, it's less like, oh, I feel like I'm cheating. But well, there's two. I have two hesitancies towards Googling things. The first is if it's if it's a game where like I'm invested in the world and the story, I'm worried that by Googling the solution to a puzzle, I might stumble across a plot spoiler. Sure. Yep. And and I don't want that to happen. Um, and another thing I've noticed in myself is that once I break the seal. Yeah. Mm hmm. On on looking for help. I never really stop. And that takes a lot of the satisfaction of like discovering things, you know, solving the puzzle on my own. So it's kind of like, is this the one? Is this the one where I give up on going through this myself? (laughs) Right. No, I've definitely experienced that as well. Um, But like there was a time, for example, where, um, you know, uh, so for people who aren't familiar with this game, so Control, I don't even know when it came out, a couple years ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 2019. So um, I got it for free on the Epic Game Store. So cool. Um, and it's like a third person action shooter. It's not Plat- a horror game, but it's kind of creepy. Uh, Yeah, I think that's 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 accurate. It's yeah, it's got a it's got a spooky vibe. But right. It's not a horror game in the way that like Resident Evil no. 7 is a horror game. It's not trying to scare you. No, it's just got like an eerie kind of vibe. Very like. Yeah. So it's got like basically it kind of just dumps you in the middle of it. You're just like a lady who is investigating this weird government agency that is in like that investigates like paranormal extra dimensional Cthulian uh-huh. bullshit, basically. And um, it's weird as fuck. Uh-huh. Um, doesn't tell you anything about anything going on, but kind of in the good way. It's just like, no, nah, nah, I'm just gonna blow everything up. Doesn't matter. Um, it gets progressively also, weirder. It gets progressively weirder for sure. Um, you know, you're kind of traveling in and out of dimensions like this place you're in like this like the the setting is kind of a character in itself which is kind of fun yeah um the federal bureau of control the old what they call the oldest house i think they uh-huh. call it um and uh you've got your motives for being there and whatnot but basically you have your gun which is like a magic gun and you've got like powers the yep. main one being like telekinesis yep and basically the only thing you need for the whole game but <laughs> To my earlier conversation when I was thinking of just like, well, I'm just going to max this because this seems really fucking strong. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it is. Uh, But, you know, I wouldn't say I almost feel like I could turn the difficulty up like one notch, but I'm kind of just enjoying where I'm at. So I'm just rolling with it. Um, Because like most fights are like, this was really easy. But every once in a while I'll die or get caught out or something. But um, I don't like how the things can sometimes just like spawn around you. That's a little, I get a little spooked when that happens. Uh So making me not feel scared of them makes the game a little less stressful for me to play. <laughs> um, and there's like, you know, some puzzles and it's kind of got that like 
Resident Evil slash Metroidvania kind of vibe where like you got to like get this power before you can get to this area. And um, but with fast travel, I hate fucking running around maps, you know, especially where they can respawn random stuff on top of you. And where the entire thing takes place in this like uh, nightmare office building, which the whole point is like how drab and boring, like the existential horror of like the drab, boring, repetitive nature of an office building, right? Mm-hmm. But also, that kind of makes it difficult for you to remember how to get around the fucking place right. just and as you're playing the game. Yeah. So, yeah, the fast travel really helps. The map leaves a little bit to be desired as well yeah. um, with knowing where you're at and what is accessible and what isn't. Like, you know, I... And this is where, for example, I, like, looked something up. was, like, I had an objective and I was like, I need to get... I don't know where this is at. I couldn't find it. I looked around for a while and I saw, like, a hole in the wall which is like way higher than I could jump or climb to. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's where I need to go. And I spent like 20 minutes trying to like carefully stack boxes on yep. top of each other so I could try <laughs> I and get up exactly there. I exactly the spot you mean. And which is really hard to do because like that's not really how your telekinesis works. It's basically yeah. just like pick up thing and throw it as fast as possible. Um, and I realized like, no, I can't get through here with this. I've never had to do this before in this game. This clearly isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Now that I got the levitate ability, it's like, oh, that's how I get through there. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then I, you know, like you said, but there's a couple of times where I had to do it, but not often. Like, I think that's usually like a sign of slightly poor game design. If like it's unclear where you can and can't go or what you need to do. Yeah. Um, Like the one thing I was just trying to do, same thing. I was like, I don't think I can go to those upper floors. And it's like, no, you have to just levitate a couple spots and get up there. It's like, no, oh, OK. Um, One of my pet peeves in games is like putting platforming in a game. It's not really designed to be a platformer. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like splitting the difference, but um, it's OK overall. And once you levitate, it's like it doesn't matter. Cause you can just fly, basically. But um, it's a lot of fun. The gameplay is oh, really it's fun. So good. It's like pretty straightforward and kind of simple. Like It gives me all these other abilities. I'm like, mm, I'm just going to throw some other people. But uh, the bad guys are like creepy and weird. And it seems like I'm starting to get in some more like boss fighty stuff, which is more fun. Mm-hmm. Just fought a giant eye, which was creepy. Yeah. Uh, the vibe is like very weird. Yeah. Good way. Yeah. It's really I mean, so the 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 game that this crew made before this was called Alan Wake. Yeah, I was reading about that because apparently they take place in the same universe. Uh, Well, I mean, maybe. Well, they, uh, apparently they make like there's two expansion DLCs. One is called the Foundation. One is called AWE, and AWE is literally a crossover between the two. Yeah, apparently. yeah. Um, I don't know that that's entirely necessary. That feels a little wanky to me. But, mm-hmm. um, but Alan Wake was very clearly just like, um, like their love letter to Twin Peaks, mm. which I'm fine with. Um, but like, uh. In, in that way, I think it was a little bit underdeveloped. Like it just it just relied a little too heavily on Twin Peaks with like a dash of Stephen King, whereas Control, the setting like it clearly borrows from uh, the X-Files. Um, that's kind of the vibe you start with. Like, oh, it's X-Files. It's it's a government agency that looks at aliens. OK, but this goes like this, I feel like has a little bit more of like its own thing its own vibe. There's plenty of Twin Peaks vibes in there and and some other things that are, you know, but this idea of like this like vaguely malevolent office building um and I'll, I'll say I mean early in the game the conversations that uh is her name Jesse the 
yeah main character is jesse the conversations she has with later in the game you you it's revealed who she's having those conversations with but early on she's having these conversations with uh somebody and you're like is she talking to me the player who is yeah. she talking to and then there's like these moments where she'll be having conversations with npcs in the game and like she has these little asides where like should i tell her about you and you're like what the fuck is happening yeah it definitely just like drops you in the middle of it and does not really explain anything in, in a good kind of way for a while i thought and, and i was very very into this game when i thought this is what they were doing was i thought she was addressing the player oh. i thought this was a this was a video game about a character who knew she was being controlled by, you know, basically a higher dimensional entity, me, mm-hmm. and was like trying to communicate with me and was on the verge of spilling the beans to other characters in the game about me. Uh, and, you know, and the game was called Control. And I was like, oh, man, we're going there, aren't we? And it, ended, it turns out we weren't. And I loved where we ended up. But uh, yeah, I that Control is is fantastic. Just the setting is is so like unique and like clearly defined and um, the places that game goes is is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely started off and I was like, oh, I'm curious about this. And like I was like, I'm going to read and listen to all the little things. I'm like, mm, I'm not going to fucking do that. But um, I don't know why I can ever just like have the patience and focus to actually do that and get it get all of you know, extract every bit out of these games like that. But I'm just like, it's just so much. And I just want to shoot things most of the time. Yeah. Well, and and I, you know, it's like I was I was doing the same thing for a while. And I was like, oh, this just reminds me of SCP. Do you know SCP? Mm-mm. SCP is a um, is a uh, Internet thing. Uh, it, 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 it used to be cooler because it was kind of unique and it was still kind of small. But it, it's it's basically like a a Wikipedia for a a wiki for a fictional organization that is very similar to the Bureau in Control, right? Like, it's this, like, government bureaucracy that handles extra-dimensional nonsense. Oh, you know what? Sanderson was talking about this on his podcast because apparently his son is obsessed with it. Yes, I know you're talking about now. And, and it's, it's, um, it was much like most things. It was cool when it was small, but now there's, like, video games based on it, and it's kind of become its own, like, brand and its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, like the, I, and that's one of the things that control borrows pretty heavily from is SCP, which kind of invented this like style of like very bureaucratic writing about very, very strange things, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, what would a government report about a multidimensional sword that cuts through reality be like, you know, mm-hmm. and all these things of like, it, this is a, you know, Omega class, uh, cognitive threat, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it borrows pretty heavily from that just as like a style. Um, but after a while, I was like, oh, this is this is just SCP. I've 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 seen the bottom of this. I could keep I I, I want to just play this game. Yeah. And like the, the I feel like the cutscenes and the dialogues and stuff do enough to give me what I need for like the yeah. story and whatever. Yeah. I think most of it's just like fun little whatever. But I like, you know, like the characters are really funny because they're all just like bureaucrats, just like who just like have no qualms about what's going on, but they're worried about like the paperwork and stuff and just kind of funny in that way. And yeah, um, it's oh, fun. Man. It's fun. I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's definitely like a, feels like a game that's like my style um, for sure. So, and I, I like the, it's like, it's like some of like, just like the, a lot of the design choices are really neat. Like the way when, like when the board is calling you, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. this like weird kind of like almost peanuts level, like mumbling 
mm-hmm. adults and peanuts like it's just and like it all the slashes and the weird things and like traveling through the motel all the time with the click i just there's all these little like bits and pieces that are just like a lot of fun um it's cool yeah yeah it is um oh man and there's some there's some stuff that's gonna happen it's so good uh yeah i'm not sure like i just kind of got a point i feel like i hit a point in the game where like i was kind of on the the railroad for a while and i kind of feel like the game just opened up a lot with like a lot yeah. of side quests and stuff so i've kind of been doing some of those um because i kind of feel like i'm getting towards the end uh after that sequence with the ashtray maze but i'm not sure like how far away i am from that but i would say you've you've probably entered the 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 like final third or final quarter of the game at this point okay oh uh, so yeah um keep your i mean like i mean i'll little plug here that like the epic if you have a if you're a pc gamer the epic game store like app has basically two free games a week and I have been basically just like, you know, every couple of days I log on and check it and I have acquired like, I don't know, 50 or 60 games. And a lot of them are just like little whatever indie games or things that like aren't good or whatever. But like also plenty of things that like are good, like and like are expensive. This was still this is still forty dollars in the store. Yeah, I, I, I would encourage people to still like, hey, you should play control even at full price. Like that's fucking good. But yeah, so. I mean, I got like Elite Dangerous for free, which I haven't played yet, but like lots of things that are just free. So if you're a PC gamer, like don't miss out on those because, hey, it takes you two seconds to pick them up. And if you're ever looking for your board one day for a game, you can just hop on and check something out. So um, although what I get sad about is when I end up getting a game for free that I had previously bought on Steam. It's like, oh, man. So, yeah, video games, man. I'm playing one. It's crazy. Wild times. I know. Uh, What else you got, Greg? uh, I read a lot of books. (laughs) <laughs> hold on hold on hold on hold on i don't that doesn't sound right coming from you are you okay you feeling all right yeah well i mean as all right as i ever do <laughs> um so in addition to a couple china miaville rereads which is you know just always happening for me <laughs> um i read two well one tr- let's call them two trilogies what the hell by jeff vandermeer um, oh is this the uh Annihilation guy? Yes. Okay. Um, so I started with the, um, well, what I, I I guess it's called the Southern Reach trilogy, of which Annihilation is book one. Annihilation is the same Annihilation as the Natalie Portman film mm-hmm. from a couple years back, which is very good and worth seeing and a pretty good adaptation of the book, but um, also different, which makes sense. Um, but it, it, uh, well, I'll say this, it definitely adapts the, um, the themes and the feel of the book if it doesn't necessarily hit every narrative point, which is what I guess you want from a, from a thing. So anyway, so I was, uh, I was looking for more things in the genre of weird fiction, which, Mm -hmm. you know, basically I did some Googling and I was like, what do I call books that are like China Miaville books? And they were like, mm-hmm. and I was, and the vibe I was getting was like, weird fiction is kind of the umbrella. I was like, great, give me some weird fiction. And one of the things that was recommended was the, the, you know, the Annihilation or the Southern Reach trilogy. I'd liked the movie. So I was like, fine, let's see what this is about. Oh, oh look, the whole trilogy is one audible credit. Great. <laughs> um, download. Uh, what do you mean the first book is read by Bronson Pinchot? You mean Balky from Perfect Strangers? Okay, fine. What do you mean Bronson Pinchot might be the best audiobook narrator I've ever heard? 
what reality do I live in? Um, anyway, uh, so, you know, I was listening to the, I, I listened to the, the, I listened to the Southern Reach trilogy. Uh, I thought it was very good, very well written. Um, I think the third book, uh, maybe doesn't quite nail things. I mean, I think one of the problems is it, when you start with a very, um, mysterious, you know, kind of cosmic, uh, cosmic horror in a way, like, ununderstandable alien thing uh and you're investigating it at some point you kind of have to explain it yes and book three i think it does a pretty good job of only explaining as little as it has to Mm -hmm. but uh nonetheless it gets there um but it's really interesting because the first book is written from the um from the perspective of the biologist um natalie portman's character right yes and and that's the that's all you know her as in the at least in the first book, because part of one of the rules for going into Area X is you only refer to each other by your your roles. Um, and, uh, you know, part of the mystery is not only Area X, but also the 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 organization, the Southern Reach, which is investigating it and all of their weird rules and et cetera, et cetera. So the first book is the is the journal of the uh, of the biologist. Uh, but the second book is um, written from the perspective of this character we know as Control, weird, um, <laughs> who is like an administrator within the Southern Reach after like and it takes place shortly after the events of Annihilation. Um, and it's very interesting because, you know, he is a, a very different character and it's written. It, it's a more intimate writing style. Um, it's you know, a very different vibe, but also very interesting because it really plays with, um, uh, you know, a big theme among these books is identity. And, um, it plays, you know, he's this, uh, this character control is, um, you know, he's, he's clearly like ex FBI or CIA or something. Um, and, uh, his mother is very highly placed within what is pretty clearly hinted to be the CIA, but there's all this stuff as he kind of unpacks his relationship with his mother and um, unpacks his past, you know, these questions about like, well, how much of me is like, I was raised by a spy, right? Like, and how many, like how much of what I remember and like a family of spies, like, and like how much of my childhood was just psyops that my mom was running on me to maybe turn me into the kind of person that is going to do this thing that I'm now being asked to do. And there's some really interesting stuff in there about that. Um, and all of this is unfolding as the world is kind of ending because, you know, reality in Florida is collapsing in on itself. <laughs> uh, and this, you know, Area X is like maybe growing or maybe intelligent. Uh, um, and also people may be like on its side. Does it even have a side? It's really weird. Um, but then book three is a little bit more like merging these two narratives, the biologist and control. And um, uh, uh, it ends a little too neatly. I guess I'll say that. But it's very good. I really enjoyed it. Um, and the audiobooks are, are really, really well put together. Um, um, actually, no, the second book is read by Bronson Pinchot. The first book, um, and, and what's interesting is as then these narratives merge later on, 
you have different narrators, right? Like Bronson Pinchot is narrating Control's chapters and um, the actress who read uh, Annihilation is reading the biologist chapters. It's really good. Oh, that's cool. And they do a really good job. Like, I, I honestly, Bronson Pinchot is an amazing audiobook narrator. Like, he has, um, he has a really good... Uh, this is a weird thing to talk about, like, but even, like, comedic timing within audiobook mm. reading. Mm-hmm. Like, knowing... Um, you know, like, you know, kind of knowing how to read a line that's supposed to be funny and give it the space it needs. But also um, uh, and it works because, you know, it is it's a first person narration. Right. So there's a lot of POV. But like he really like he really embodies the emotions of the characters he's reading in, in a way that I think is really, really good. Um, so I did that. That's cool. I um Shay and I went and saw the movie in theaters, uh, which was every once in a while, you know, like Jay's preferences run towards the normie ends of the spectrum generally. But every once in a while, she'll just be like, that looks interesting. We should see that. I'm just like, okay. Um, other examples include Midsummer, and <laughs> um, I don't know. We watched the most recent like version of Carrie at Halloween. All right. Sure. Um, it's fine. But yeah, we went and saw it in theaters and I really liked it. I was like, this movie is fucking weird. Although it was one of those things where like, I'm with it. And then the last minutes, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because a lot of things happen in that, like the last bit of that, and it gets real fucking weird. And Shannon's yeah. kind of left in silence, and she's like, "Did you follow that?" I'm like, "Kind of, maybe." <laughs> Did she come back changed? Did she come back, or or was what came back a facsimile of her? Was what came back something else disguised as her? Right. And the movie doesn't tell you. Right. And that makes a lot of people very upset. Yes. <laughs> and it's like the whole fucking point, guys, is that is that you're not supposed to know. Right. And I the assume you probably learned the lines. The lines are blurred. Um, not quite. Oh, it's okay. never quite clear. Um, and and, you know, what's great in, in in book three, when you get her point of view again, is she's not sure mm. she's not sure. She knows she's different, but she's not sure if she is if she is like literally the same person but changed or if she is some other thing some outgrowth of area x that thinks she's the biologist right because like there's oscar isaac's character who is clearly dead and then he's alive again or mm-hmm. there's like a yeah homunculi or whatever version of him clone or that clearly leaves and is not him and you're wondering about her as well um no i mean i Here's my thing, though, Greg, I'm struggling with something. I wanted to run this past you as a broader topic and we can get back to the trilogy. I don't want to cut you off. But one thing I've noticed in a lot of sci fi series that I've read over time, I'm going to put in this category. I mean, Dune, but also just because I know it goes fucking weird, bizarre places. Stuff in the Ender series, you know, Speaker for the Dead and all that. Um, Hyperion Endymion series by Dan Simmons. a lot of these, and maybe it's because I'm not reading like I'm not reading hard sci-fi, which I'll acknowledge. However, I feel like we always end up in like this like or in Worm, that series I read, the superhero stories. We always end up in these like super like high concept, super weird, super like extra dimensional slash higher dimensional slash like precognition slash obliterating the identity and the self like all these different things i feel like we always end up kind of in like a really similar place even i just finished the expanse books the last one came out leviathan falls i read it in like five days six days something like that um i won't say much about it because it's 
the book nine in a series. I don't want to give a lot of spoilers for it, but like it was good. I liked it. I thought it was a really strong ending. It could have been like a little more like it was climactic. I just think it lacked action, which is a weird thing for me to request. But even that kind of gets very like high, not as high concept. And I think they do a really good job of keeping it grounded because you they have a very tight point of view perspective that makes it hard to go to like high concept. Um, but I guess I'm just like, I feel like more frequently than not, I really struggle with that. And I find that it's either hard for my tiny human brain to fathom or it's hard to write it in a way that I can fathom it. And also I feel like it all kinds of and always almost ends up feeling like super similar in a lot of ways. I don't know. Mm. It's hard to describe. Like you kind of like as you zoom out and zoom out and zoom out, you, you kind of lose the details of the story you're in. And you're kind of just like, wouldn't it be weird if we were all just motes of light in the substring of the universe? It's just like, okay, I guess. But like, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? And, and I don't know. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever get that with some stuff that you read? Um, most of what I read is some some confrontation with the vastness of the universe and the insignificance of man. Like, that's generally what I get down with. So, yeah, <laughs> I see sure. that a lot. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, that's I mean, I think that's again, that's that's a sort of thing I'm drawn to is I like I like things that play with identity and play with significance. And um, I like that micro macro uh thing that I one of the things I think Jeff Vandermeer does a really good job of bouncing back and forth between these things of like, you know, these like, um, you know, like uh, part of the Southern Reach trilogy, like suggests like an alien life form that is basically encoded in light. Right. And mm-hmm. and gets trapped in a lens. And you're like, how does that even fucking work? Um, you know, and these these like completely like incomprehensible higher beings and bouncing back and forth between that and like tender memories of a person remembering like inspecting a tidal pool when they were on vacation when they were 11 you know mm-hmm. and like these this bouncing back and forth between the like cosmic and incomprehensible and the more like personal and visceral like i really like that bouncing back and forth um so i'm generally drawn to that sort of thing yeah no that makes sense um interesting yeah i mean i like the movie a lot so maybe i'll i had a, yeah. I had a friend at work who read them and said he liked them so They're, they're a genuinely good read and they're a quick they're they're, they're like a they're, they're decent page turners like because there's um annihilation i mean it feels very short i don't i don't know for sure but it moves very quickly um and there's always like cool and weird shit that they're talking about yeah um like that fucking weird bear in the movie oh no thank you th- th- that that weird bear is like the most basic bitch thing <laughs> i don't think the book bear is in the book things get much weirder in the book but just oh the, the effect they had on that where like it would open its mouth to scream and it was like an amalgamation of like humans screaming oh, yep. it really fucking got me yep and then it's a question of like is that bear a person or mm-hmm. is it a bear trying pretending to be a person uh or is it just this thing this the this area x trying its best to try and express itself to humans but not knowing how um but like the book like the the movie takes a like it takes a while to introduce you to the weirdness the book just gets right it just right weirdness right away Mm-hmm. because it's it's all presented as the journal right right like so like page one is she's already in area x you know yeah um uh and damn, it, it's, damn, it's, it's you a- got you either got to read or watch the expanse so we can like i can refer to it in these conversations and some of these things there's things i want to re- relate it to but i can't <laughs> you bastard maybe someday 
Um, but then, so I got through the, the Southern Reach trilogy and then uh, decided I wanted more Jeff Vandermeer. Um, and I learned that his early work was a, a collection of short stories and then two novels set in a fictional vaguely steampunk city called Ambergris. And I was like, come on, Jeff, did you make this for me? Did you write <laughs> these books for me, Greg Park, just for me and no one else? Um, so I cracked open that collection. Um, so it's it's the first is a short story collection called City of Saints and Mad Men. The second is a book called Shriek and Afterward. And the third one is called Finch. Uh, the second book is has this really, and I'll say, kind of annoying framing device, which is it's framed as like, so there's this central character, Duncan Shriek. Also, I'll say this, Jeff Vandermeer, real bad with names. <laughs> like sometimes, you know, he's naming a character and you're like, this is so obvious it has to be a joke, right? Like the, the way you named this character, I can't think of a, of a, of a great example, but, um, uh, oh, like one of the characters is named, uh, Bon Mo, which, uh, means like good word or, um, like a, a witty turn of phrase. It's, it's, it's a French, it, it, a bon mot. It's just like, it's a thing. It's a word. It's, it's, but you had just have a character just named that. What the fuck? <laughs> um, and then like, that's not his nickname. That's just like his name in universe. Uh, fuck. Come on, Jeff. Um, but like, uh, so there's this character, Duncan Shriek, and he's a historian and you're introduced to him first in one of the short stories as, He's he's supposed to be writing like a like just like a traveler's guide, like fucking pamphlet. Right. But he's but he's such a like such like a, a, an obsessive historian that it's just the actual pamphlet that you're reading is like two pages, but it's surrounded by like a hundred pages of footnotes embedded in footnotes embedded in, you know, mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the framing device. You're introduced to this guy and, you know, it's supposed to be a tourist guide. But what you end up reading is like the entire history of this fictional world. And it's really weird and interesting. So you're introduced to him and then Shriek and Afterward is that same kind of device. But like it's his sister writing an afterword to one of his books that details their personal history. But then you've got his like footnotes on her afterword. And then additional footnotes by other characters. So it's this kind of dialogue. Right? It, it sounds complicated and it is. And it's a little bit up its own ass too much. But that's the second novel. That's kind of the setting. Um, so there's a little bit of a narrative about um, this historian and his discoveries and also more about the world. And then the third book is Finch. And it takes place like several hundred years later. And it's more of like a hard-boiled detective novel set in this world. Um but it's this mysterious city, this ambergris that um, you're kind of starting with like kind of a steampunk level of technology. But by the time you get to Finch, it's a little bit more modern. Um, but it's this um, there's clearly this like weird history uh, with the native population who may or may not be people who worship mushrooms or who might be actual mushroom people. <laughs> It's a little unclear at the Love beginning. Love a good mushroom person, man. Um, and, you know, the kind of ongoing tension with, you know, the, this native population um, and uh, and their weird plans and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
and it's some of his earliest work and it's, so it's a little rough around the edges in parts but like it's also kind of compelling like the setting is pretty interesting and finch is actually a pretty well-written little kind of hard-boiled detective novel set in a world with mushroom people um but like the the way they unravel the history of the world and like you as the reader trying to pick out with kind of alongside this character of duncan like like what is real history versus what is myth versus blah 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 um it's pretty good I, i i will say uh rough around the edges in parts and sometimes he gets way up his own ass with, you know, writers writing about writing can be a little, mm-hmm. a little tough sometimes. And he's a little too, at least at this stage, a little too obsessed with like being a capital W writer and all his characters are writers. And sure. Um, but there's also some really just like really good little short stories about um, and, you know, me, I love like a weird fictional city with like strange exotic forms of government. Mm-hmm. And like in Ambergris, like there was certainly there was like a period of of like literal like anarchy where there just was no centralized power. But there was a composer uh, who was so popular that he basically became like the central political force. <laughs> and then uh, when he died, it caused a schism and like political parties developed around that. Um, and it's really it's it's yeah, it's got that kind of weird crap that I like of like <laughs> weird exotic political situations, um, which then prompted me to reread uh, The City in the City by Miaville. And uh, anyway, but um, it's a really interesting and weird thing if you're willing to kind of get through some a little self-indulgent stuff in the way he writes. But there's some really interesting ideas and some really clever little literary tricks he pulls. Um, and I think The City of Ambergris um at least in the in the in the short story collection and then the first novel i think is a really really interesting setting um uh yeah so i read a lot i read a lot of that crap definitely sounds like super adjacent to kind of me like ambergris and new chromosomes sound like they have a lot in common in some ways yeah ambergris is a lot less weird than new chromosome got like like it's 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 you know it's very clearly like a little bit of a um anti-colonial story you know because you have this um native population and what their whole deal is and what we did to them and what they may have done to us and um what exactly is going on down there etc 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 um uh is pretty interesting and um you know he does a really good job of of writing a story set in a city that like may be a day away from collapse, but everybody in it is still trying to just go about their business. <laughs> uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm proud of you for reading so many books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know what? None of them had any pictures in them neither. Oh, wow. They were, they were all chapter books. Uh, talking about framing devices, it takes me back to Witcher for a second. Just like one of the things that he's obsessed with is like changing the framing device. But in a way that like it's just really jarring and grating. Sometimes you're reading a book about what previously happened. Sometimes he'll do like the skip ahead and work backwards thing. Sometimes he'll just jump into random. It's like I I appreciate different framing devices, but I think if you try and shove every single one into a series, you just come across like you're just trying too hard and can't pick a lane. Uh, yeah. Don't do yeah. That. And and sometimes getting a little too cute. Yeah. Um. Uh. It just really affects the pacing, right? Like. 
I think. And it just is very disruptive to the reader when you're having to kind of almost like change the whole medium of if you're of like what you're reading, almost. not the medium, but yeah, it's framing. But yeah. And how are you using the framing device to like tell me more than you could tell me just in, um, you know, just just through just telling the story. Right. Right. Like, There's got to be a reason to do it. Um, you know, in the first Duncan Treek story where he's, you know, it, it's the the traveler's guide with all the footnotes. You really get this like sense. It's it's doing a good job of not only telling you um, the history of the setting, but it's giving you an insight into this character because you're reading his notes and his asides. So you're kind of getting a sense for his personality. But he's also because of the way he's talking about it, and he's like referring to other like in fiction works. And it's like, oh, contrary to what so and so says, blah, blah, blah. So you start to understand not only the history of the world, but also like where the history is disputed and what the different theories about different things might be. So it's actually that framing device is actually like contributing to the story in a way that if you just tried to write this out as a narrative, it wouldn't be as compelling. Right. Because also realizing that like, oh, this is supposed to be a tourist guide for this city. So like you're also understanding like, oh, there's like stupid commercialism in this as well that's embedded and you're getting all of that in like one thing and the framing device is doing that that's really good but then in the other one where it's like this weird conversation and all of the characters are clearly writing this from some future point but they're still committed to this kind of linear layout of things and then there's this one character they keep talking about in all the footnotes where you have this kind of back and forth in the footnotes in the in the shriek and afterward the first true novel um there's this character who they keep talking about and she's clearly a very important person in the you know in, in these people's lives and also in the events they're talking about but then she comes in to talk but not until like well deep into the book and it's like well if she's just providing footnotes why did she let them talk all this shit about her for the <laughs> first half of the book right like, and I get it. It's like, because if this was a TV show, you introduce this character that everybody's been talking about. You've been building them up, building them up, and then they show up in episode five. Okay. But when the framing device is, oh, this is a, they're all commenting on each other's footnotes in a publication. It's like, do you, did you pick up reading this halfway through, Mary? You, you, they've been calling you awful things this whole time. Right. You know? You're like internally inconsistent. And also right. you, you, when you, when you pick a framing device, sometimes that framing device comes with some uh, constraints on storytelling that you have to kind of like keep in mind, which I think is important to remember. Right. Um, so, um, but yes. Great. Um, I would like to read some of that. That sounds good. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I would say obviously start with the, um, start with the short story collection and a couple of them aren't great. There's one that, uh, he does a little bit of that thing of like, I'm Jeff Vandermeer, the real life person, but I really went to Ambergris. It's real. Or is it like there's Ugh. one of those fucking skip it. It's not that good. And it doesn't really contribute to the larger narrative. And that's a that's one of those like too far up his own ass kind of thing, especially for like when you realize like when he wrote it, it was like like it was like his like second or third thing. And you're like, really, guy, you're already doing this. It took Stephen King a very long time before he did that shit. Um well late into his career but like but there's some other good stuff in there but again it's like well you're reading their early work you know it's mm -hmm. not always going to be great but like some of them are actually pretty good um 
the first one in the short story, Drayden and Love, is a is a pretty good like um, a pretty good uh, like what the fuck is happening here and unreliable narrator kind of thing. Pretty good. Mm, interesting. Um, I think the next series I'm going to read, I might do some wheel of time here. And also I've got some, um, the Sanderson Skyward series to catch up on, which is another one that gets into super, just like extra dimensional beings of that, of unknown power and whatever. And just like, okay. Anyway, um, don't use it as a crutch people make it interesting. That's my point. Uh, anyway, I was recommended this series called the books of Babel series. It's like a fantasy-ish series. I think actually more like in the steampunky kind of realm as well um, by Josiah Bancroft. Um, I saw on Reddit Wow, and also a friend of mine um, has read them. And the last book just came out and uh, everyone is is pr- pretty hot on it. So um, apparently it's like, you know, a tower called Babel, but nothing to do with like the biblical Tower of Babel. But basically like a guy trying to find his lost wife kind of situation. And I guess things ensue from there. But um People are pretty hot on it, so I'm, I'm going to check that out, I think. Just do something a little different for now. Uh, and, um, yeah, I wanted to also bring up that we did read Risen of the Crowds. We didn't talk about that. My God, we didn't? No, I don't think we did. We talked about, to, I mean, we talked about it, but we didn't talk about it on here. I'd have to I'd have to go back and refresh <laughs> myself on No, no, it's fine. We, we can say that for another time. All I know is it was good. We liked it. Yeah, you should read Joe Abercrombie. I'm going to keep reading Joe Abercrombie. Yeah, do that. Um, I, I don't think I can be stopped. I will say that's one thing that I feel like whatever that whatever, you know, style of writing, I'm not a writer, so I don't <laughs> know how to describe it, but maybe it's on a little more like on the pulpy side, but with some good ideas behind it. I think that Joe Abercrombie and the Expanse books like fit very solidly like together as like a very similar kind of approach to telling a story and like a character driven story. And I'm just like very about that right now. I want interesting, they don't have to be like novel characters, particularly like, you know, one of the fun things about The Expanse is that like James Holden is like not a particularly novel character. He's like an LG paladin, basically, you know, lawful good, just like wants to do the right thing. A, a capital G good guy, which actually is like kind of uncommon in fiction right now. Uh, but but then when you take in like there's characters like that in, you know, in uh, Abercrombie, like there's people who are like not necessarily capital G good, but like you kind of know how they start, but then the story takes them on a journey that changes them and develops them in a way that feels authentic. And, you know, you don't, it, it's very character focused and that's, that's what I'm about, right? With a good, with a good plotting as well, world building and plotting. So those are, those are where I'm, I'm like a lot of people when they're asking for book recommendations right now, those are my two recommendations are like Joe Abercrombie, fans books, crush it. Joe Abercrombie just so. Yeah. Um, I didn't have too much else. I'm watching that Hawkeye show. It's pretty good. It's weird. It's very Christmassy and fun. And somehow they made a good Hawkeye show. I don't know how. Uh, they just knew what they needed to do, I guess. Rocking that serious Shane Black, like, <laughs> Jerry Renner is doing a great job of channeling just like the I'm too fucking old for this shit kind of mm. attitude, which is just good. Heartwarming, though. Um, some, some like, good Christmas family vibes as well. Oh yeah, good stuff. Um, Shane, I watch this is an honor roll mention, non genre stuff. Shane, I watched a show called Made on Netflix a little while back. It's based on a book uh, by the same name. It was really good, really depressing about like you know abuse and trauma and the cycle oh, abuse and great. Yeah, it's super super and poverty, structural poverty, Oof. and uh, so that's all super good. Um, but 
it was really good show and the performance from the main actor was really really awesome uh so you want to watch a show about singles mo- a single mom's life who's really hard watch I, that no thank you i was having this conversation with karen the other night because she's started watching succession and she's uh, telling me how good it is and you know I, I she's also been telling me how good ted lasso is and i'm like look i'm sure these are good things but uh i i like in the case of succession like uh, I, I just I I'm sorry I cannot watch it I cannot watch a show about rich people and their rich people problems <laughs> and I, I I'm sure everyone involved is doing a great job and I know a lot of people who you know are who, whose opinions I I respect but I'm just like ah that doesn't sound great to me I'll tell you where I'm at right now again it's well it's kill the kill like it's you know it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's a fantasy high school where teenagers where uh special uh uniforms made out of aliens that give them special powers and then they have to fight each other and and cut each other's clothes off and it's it's way too horny and dumb uh that's where i'm at i need a premise on paper that is like (laughs) bonkers bonkers i want bonkers right now i have i've and again no no shade on anyone who wants to watch a quiet drama about people dealing with real human emotions and real human challenges. No shade on someone who wants to watch rich people be shitty to each other. No shade on someone who wants to be reminded of the horrors of late stage capitalism. But right now, I want to watch a giant pink robot kill another giant robot with the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> that's that's in the Evangelion. But right, right, right. Yeah. But you, this is the world I need to be in. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, did you watch Squid Games? Nope. See previous statement. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a little weirder, but no, I, uh, I think I will end up watching Squid Game. But also, I'm like, I watched the preview. I was like, oh, this is about capitalism, isn't it? Um, All right. I, okay. Probably. I, yeah. I get it. I, yes, we agree. We agree. Squid Game, man. Capitalism, uh, bad. The mystery is pretty interesting, though. I we're only about halfway through. Um, the dub is questionable. <laughs> Um, I kind of forgot how much when you're not watching anime, watching a dub is like, doesn't, you know, cause when people, when animation in their mouths barely line up anyway. Right. So when you're just hearing it, you know, English over top of it doesn't really matter, but in real people, it's very obvious. I will say like the main characters dubs are pretty good, but it feels like every side character or, you know, like extra they interact with. It sounds like you literally just like stop someone in the street was like, Hey Greg, do you mind just recording this line for us quick? And then you do it and you're like, uh, I can probably give it a rotate. They're like, no, no, that, that, that's good. And they just walk away and find the next person to do it. Mm. So that's not great. But I was like, I'm just too lazy to read right now. <sighs> yeah. Um, the new sunny season started. You start watching that. Yeah. Uh, watch the first couple episodes. It's it's sunny. It's funny. That first one was very funny for me. They're doing, they're Second doing one too. pretty good job. Yeah. Uh huh. The last thing I had, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about, we didn't really talk about like Shang-Chi or Eternals or what if, but we can talk about that a little bit next time we talk well, about Spider-Man. I've watched none of those things. Yeah, I know you haven't. Um, I uh, la- might check out Eternals when it streams. I, I've i had many opportunities to watch Shang-Chi and I haven't even gotten as far as opening the Disney Plus app. So I just don't think I'm, I don't know that I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I guess I'll give my, my 30 second review of each. Shang- Shang-Chi was fun uh the first two thirds is kind of like a kung fu movie the third third act's kind of like a high fantasy movie which was unexpected but kind of in a good way um the characters are pretty likable all around it's like just like a pretty solid action adventure 
superhero movie. Eternals was very different. <laughs> uh, obviously very divisive. I liked it. It definitely like had some overstuffed issues and you know, maybe could have made some different choices, but overall it was a beautiful movie. The cast is great. There's like one kind of plot line that's kind of like, why do we even do this piece of this? But uh, overall, I don't get the hate for it personally. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about it. I've I've heard enough about it to just be like, oh, this uh, this um, I, I have a feeling that just like structurally, I, I don't know that I can care about this, but knowing how it ends, uh, there's some bonkers shit that I just think I need to see with my eyeballs. I think yeah. I need to see a a a miles tall uh god baby emerge from the ocean I, it's pretty cool i think i need to see that it's pretty cool uh i don't I, think i, I care it. about anything else in this movie other than that um no i mean it, it there's a lot of very like valid complaints it's kind of a mess but kind of in an interesting way and in a way that's like not inherently bad it's just very weird and different mm-hmm. um also being a marvel movie it's not like you know not twin peaks like it's you know it's it's not like changing anything dramatically, but I I did like it, though. I enjoyed a lot of it. I'm curious if Marvel kind of like picks up some of the plot threads that dangles with it, but we'll see based on the reception. I don't know. Marvel might not give a shit because it still made a ton of money anyway. And who cares? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just want to end with some music wrecks, unless you have anything you wanted to bring up. No, I think we could talk about music for a minute. All right. So here's what I'm jamming to that I want to recommend. The first is a band called The Algorithm, or at least just mm-hmm. one guy, French guy. Uh, a, lot of good, a lot of good stuff coming out of France lately. I don't know what it is. Um, he, it's kind of, I, I'm always curious. I like electronic music in certain kinds of electronic music, synthwave and that kind of stuff. And then I like metal, obviously. And some bands, you know, incorporate a little bit here and there, you know, but I've been looking for the ratio that's more like a, 40, 60, 50, 50 split between the two. And this is still not there, but pretty close um, where it's like definitely electronic music, but also has a ton of like metal, progressive metal like stuff in it. Mm -hmm. And um, the older stuff is maybe just more, a little more straight electronic, but some of the more recent albums and um, singles and stuff have been really interesting. So I've been digging that. Obviously, I love Archspire right now. Still love an Archspire. Just the fastest tech death that ever fasted. Yeah. Uh, but yep. dudes write songs. Like, they I don't know how do. to describe it. It's tricky. I, 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 I'm I, having trouble cracking through that. And this is a purely aesthetic thing that uh, I'm ashamed at myself for this. But, like, I, I found myself turned off from Archspire in a way where, like, I found myself watching, I guess, like, a video from the new album. And the vocalist... Uh, this is so dumb and I uh, like, but I can't, I can't ignore it because now whenever I hear him, this is what I see. But like, it's like a standard, like tech death video, like low budget. Like I'm just seeing a lot of guys playing guitar but when vocalist comes in, like all of his, like his entire performance physically is like, he's rapping. I know you're like, talking about just like about. the mannerisms, the way he's holding the mic and like the way he's moving and like. It's so out of place and incongruous with everything else that's going on. Every time I hear them now, that's what I see. This like white dude, like, like rap dancing to death metal. It's so weird and I can't get it out of my head and it feels cringy to me. And that's my problem. This is not their problem. <laughs> but now I can't not visualize it. Yeah, but I, I think don't that was understand a video it. off the old album. I think the new 
I Could love videos be. a little more straight tech death, but, but it's um, it's not. But there's nothing there's nothing hip hop about the music. No, and there's nothing like at least that I can hear that's like hip hop inspired about his vocal technique. And he's incredibly talented in. Yeah, it's just fast. That's the only thing and, I really and his, rap. His, I feel like his ability to enunciate while doing those death growls is an incredible feat. But there's just something up again. Like I can't not see it in my head. And I don't I, understand it. <laughs> I don't understand where it comes from. I get that for sure. Um, for me, it was just like it was the combination of like crazy, crazy technicality plus songwriting. It, it When tech death gets stuck in your head, something is happening that is going well, I feel like. Yes. Because that means like they're writing a song as opposed to just like, look how fast we can go. So the fact that they've continued to pair it together. And I mean, from every review I've read of it and people talking about it, they're like, yeah, we kind of thought that, you know, the I think it was 2017 involuntary doppelganger was going to be like kind of like a blip. And then like they're just going to kind of make the same record over and over again. They're like, no, somehow they made like an even better record. And it's just <laughs> it's mind blowing. Um, They're bonkers, but really, really good stuff. Uh, And lastly, like the thing I'm really into, like right this second is I don't know how to pronounce it. Cause I'm not from I'm not Danish, but mole mood mole. It's like the mood. O with the backslash through yes. it. Like black metal slash black gazy kind of thing it's, it's awesome they, they they drank deaf heaven's milkshake man like look i love deaf heaven but like mool took what deaf heaven was doing it was like what if we just did everything like better like yeah. what if we took this idea and like took it to its perfect core uh yeah their new album panorama is amazing diorama i think diorama probably um it it's just like the it's way more to me way more dynamic and diverse than uh death oh they are leagues ahead um the vocalist is just pouring every ounce he has into every freaking like line he sings and they're just doing like cool weird stuff it just all fits together so well like i don't know what it is and i'm sure musically you could tell me what the first the first song on yeah. Diorama, it, it like it's a really weird like I don't know if it's a chord progression. I know what you're talking about. I was where like, the whole thing where like the whole thing kind of time warps. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I don't know I, what that's going on musically, but it is so cool sounding. I I I think it's a I think it's a production trick because I don't I don't think that well you could do it you uh it, it's difficult to describe but it's basically as if the uh like the tape imagine the tape of the the guitars and bass like slowing down weirdly uh and then and then coming back up to speed um but the drums and vocals that's not happening to mm-hmm. um and it does this weird kind of like time shifty effect it's very difficult to describe you have to hear it uh the song's fracture i think spelled f-r-a-k-t-u-r if i'm remembering correctly um but it's this really strange thing you could theoretically do it live but uh synchronizing that that pitch shift across like three different instruments would be very difficult to achieve uh you do it electronically but you getting them anyway um but yeah it's a really weird thing and i had to listen to it like six times to be like is that happening like are they doing that it's really cool what they've what they do um but like that's an example of like things they're doing that nobody else is experimenting with um uh and, yeah, and it's, it's just it's, it's like unrepent and it's but it's like it's black metal first which is why i, I like it like it yeah I mean, the vocals and like the sections that are like this is the black metal section are like really good 
you know, I mean, more on the proggy side of black metal, but like it's heavy and it's not just like so many of and I, I like atmospheric black metal and stuff that leans that way. But sometimes it can sound like really samey and kind of like compressed is the wrong word, but just like really just wall of sound to a point where it's like yeah. just background noise where this is like it's very dynamic. And I like that. Yeah. And they there's something else they're doing that. um and it's weird for a genre called atmospheric black metal that so few bands actually experiment with atmosphere. It's like there's one atmosphere that Alcest basically discovered in like 2001 and all the atmospheric bands have just been like doing like, oh, that's the atmosphere in atmospheric <laughs> black metal. Um, but what Mool is doing on this on this album, uh, more so than previous stuff, but is like they're genuinely like... Um, like they're playing with the uh, with the fictional space that you hear. Um, like when you listen to it and um, like you close your eyes and you listen and you can hear to a certain extent, like the, the quote unquote room that the music is taking place in. Right. And you can sense the space around you and um, like, you know, how close are you standing to the vocalist in this kind of imaginary sound sound stage? And there's one track later on where, like, the way they play with how close the vocalist sounds to you at the same time that he's playing with uh, how distorted his voice is, um, mm. is really amazing stuff. Like, there's an almost 3D quality to what they're doing um, that they that they do a lot. There's a there's a certain level of definition and, and dimension to their sound that no other band in the in the genre can touch. And they're clearly playing with it now um uh next level shit i mean i thought the last album was next level shit but they were like fuck you when do you hear this one <laughs> yeah both albums are great i you know i definitely slept on the first one i've seen they've kind of crossed a couple times on my spotify or whatever and i just kind of like cross past but yeah um and i was i was talking to shay the other day this is funny for me and you i feel like because she was asking me a question about a band and she's like oh like would greg let them I'm like oh greg would fucking hate these this band <laughs> but like <laughs> And she's like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, like, I'm like, the Venn diagram of, like, the metal that Greg and I like is, like, it doesn't really overlap, like, I mean, it, it's, it overlaps, but it's not, like, a huge portion. Probably more, maybe not that we like, but that we tend to listen to a lot or really pursue um, and dive deep on. But I'm like, but frequently what's in the middle are, like, bands we really fucking like yeah. and <laughs> bands that we both agree are, like, that, like, you example, like, last year, what we say our albums of the year was, like, Violet Cold and Protoss the Hero. And like, we're like, yep, done. Like, we didn't have to like, debate it anymore. And I feel like similar about this band. So I just think that's kind of like, I think it shows, I don't know what it shows. Maybe this is like pompous, but just like bands that we both like that rise to the top are like kind of like demonstrably good because we have such different preferences and tastes about yeah. a lot of different things, right? If we agree on it, it must be um, something it, special. <laughs> uh, so on that note, uh, so one other band that I think is like really doing like some next level stuff. And you mentioned like wanting some crossover between like metal and like electronic stuff. Um, I don't know if I'm even supposed to pronounce this this band also from Denmark, weirdly, but it's uh, capital L, capital L, capital N, capital N. Uh, they put out a new album in the fall called Unmaker. Um, that's just like they put out some other stuff that's really good, but this is like I feel like ah, you guys have found it. This is that. This is your thing. Um, and it's this combination of like you know, proggy metal in the vein of the ocean, or you know, kind of bands of that ilk. Um, 
but with this uh layer of like synthesizer stuff and um and also atmosphere that is really kind of reminiscent of uh the movie alien okay but this kind of like dark cold outer space it's very difficult to describe but you you kind of have to hear it and it's really and also just like really really good songs like like this is a band that like when they they're doing like album previews you know like how bands do one of them was just sound design and you're like hanging out with their synth guy and he's like sampling like banging on old metal pipes and like you know like turning that into a synth patch and i'm like okay i see you guys um so that's really good uh unmaker is the new album uh really really good and like a new thing like you hear this and you're like this is a new band i haven't heard this band before um and then just to circle back to tech death the new obscura so fucking good jamin too before we started this podcast yeah that's it uh, they just keep every like every 30 seconds they do some new cool shit and i'm like ah, oh, you guys did it <laughs> yeah it's really weird i i've always kind of like not been into obscure which is kind of weird because it definitely like falls within my typical tastes um i always kind of like didn't like the vocals very much uh i always thought they were like kind of samey yeah also like didn't fit i mean he just sounds like the guy from at the gates but um maybe slightly less less screamy but i just always kind of felt like eh, and like it didn't really pull me in but the new album is it's doing some really cool stuff and they're they're mixing in they're mixing in more vocalists and more vocal styles mm-hmm. on this one, which really helps. And I also there's there's almost almost like a sense of playfulness now that I didn't hear on the other ones where like the, the, this is dumb. But like there's there's points where like it'll be a guitar solo and like, you know, they'll they, they'll choose a note or they'll choose a phrase or something. And like I could just tell that like when they found that. They all looked up at each other in the practice room. And were like, <laughs> yeah, that's fucking it right there. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's a sense of like playfulness and fun. And, um, uh, and it's not like jokey, but it, it's more of that like um, leaning into doing cool shit. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they say, you know, what would be really fucking cool right here is if you did like a big fucking Bon Jovi solo right now. And they're like, <laughs> you know what? That's what I'm going to do. It. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. We're doing a Bon Jovi solo now. Um, kind of in the way that like Isan started to think do some of that, too, where it's just like, let's just do uh, this riff is just straight fucking Motley Crue. Fuck yep, it. Yep. Or like uh, one of uh, I don't know if it was the last album, but like there's like one song. I was like, oh, that's just a Randy Rhodes riff. So, <laughs> oh, oh, so you guys just made an Aussie song then. OK, fine. Great. Great. I like that. <laughs> Lean in. There's a lot of leaning in on the new Obscura, which I like. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I've only listened to it like maybe once or twice, but I'm I am definitely. But even when I have it on passively, which is not always the best way to listen to like Tech Death, it uh, there'd be moments like that where I'd be like, what did I just hear? Yeah. <laughs> what was yeah. that again? Because <laughs> I remember on the on the last album, there's like or maybe it was the one before, but like there's like one guitar solo where like all of a sudden it just goes into video game noises for no reason. And I'm <laughs> like, you fucking idiots. I love it. And I just feel like there's a lot more of that, like a lot more of like, and that's what I want from like a progressive technical band is like, like, I want you guys to like do fucking dumb, weird shit. Like, that's the whole point of Prague is to right. like get get weird with it. And, yeah. you know, and I, I, I say a lot, like a lot of I feel like a lot of Prague bands, like they don't have a sense of fun, you know, mm-hmm. 
it, it's or, overwrought or, or playfulness or, you know, they, they just take themselves way too seriously. And I feel like Obscura is, you know, now so and they've always been a little playful, but they're getting more playful. And I like that. Um, I, I I love that vibe of like, you know, have as a musician, but like <laughs> that energy of like where you're all just like, you know, like you can just tell like they're having fun making this and they're like surprising each other in the band and like. I don't know. It's a vibe I really appreciate. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really, this is my favorite time of year for, you know, outside of being in the holidays, but just, I love all like the year end lists to just like find new stuff and dig through them and see what, you know, there's so many now that I fought like a couple different metal blogs that like post a ton of different best of lists that you can really find stuff you, you're looking for. You might've missed and it's always yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. I've got to do some catching up. I can't just keep listening to the same unrequited ep over and over again for the rest of the year i, I mean i can't but yeah i definitely was in like an exploratory phase like in maybe like the early summer and then i kind of fell into like a rut where i was just like guess i'm just listening to violet cold and four stroke baron for the next three months and it's kind of what i did that violet cold man that that dude's on to something yeah yeah the, the new the new one isn't as good as noir kid but it's pretty good it's good it's just not quite as like i don't know like the noir kid had just like an entire feel and yeah. and yeah. like vibe that's like, not as cohesive it's not a cohesive it's a lot of really good songs but um yeah, yeah. also for some reason like i guess like the expanse is kind of like my happy place right now and i think that album kind of like imprinted itself on the expanse because it's like it's kind <laughs> of spacey and like that kind of it kind of matches the vibe of the expanse for some reason for me and i was also like when i was listening to it a lot i was like reading the books and watching the show and i think it all just kind of like merged together so now it's just like this is just happy place right now oh that's why you need to listen to llnn like that is the soundtrack of the expanse okay like if you want if, if you want music that sounds like the unforgiving void of space <laughs> um that is that is only a thin wall of of poorly maintained steel away from you that this is the album <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I have it ready to go after we yeah. close this podcast. Out, I'm excited it, to hear it. It uh, sounds like dying in space. <laughs> great. My favorite thing. Um, the other reason by the cold is uh, a lot for me is because Noir Kid has a instrumental version, which Shay doesn't hate. So I can put that uh, on like in the kitchen or in the car sometimes and get away with it as opposed to sometimes I'll start playing the regular version and I just get the slow head turned towards me in the car and just the then the slow shake of a head <laughs> I'm like oh okay uh, you'll get her someday well i mean hey we're going to our first metal concert together in march what are you seeing we are seeing spirit box okay uh who are opening for every time i die yeah which i need to give another go at um i never properly i was like that's weird panda shit i don't listen to that back in the day because you guys were all into them and i was like eh, it's not really for me but we were and I still am. Um, I heard the new album is quite good. It's pretty good. I don't know that we're ever going to get better than New Junk Aesthetic, but um, the new album is really good. And the one before it, Low Teens, is really good. I would say New Junk is so far the high watermark, followed by Low Teens. I'd like to give it another go because I, I don't like to go to a concert and only see one band, especially if they're an opener. But uh, then yeah. um, sadly, they're, the, the headliner is... Um, under oath which oh. i will i will be leaving for yeah but <laughs> great Your early night check out yeah. Uh, yeah i mean you should definitely watch every time i die they're like an amazing live band oh yeah i was definitely gonna stay for them because i just heard so much good and so many good things about and, them and so many of my friends like them but and keith buckley is like a huge lefty he's he's great yeah yeah 
it was really funny with um Shay and I's like you know Spotify wrapped whatever was just like this is the first time in our entire life and maybe the last where we will have like the same band be the top band we listened to this year. <laughs> but boy, is it a divisive band, Greg? I was watching the banger YouTube did like a Blaine did like a they did Patreon people voted on albums that they didn't review that they should talk about kind of like quick little quick and dirty reviews and the number two pick was spirit box and blame was like this music is not for me <laughs> uh music it seems so okay just not for me i don't like it but man the comments were just like spirit box is hot topic core it's it's shit it's just like oh my god i didn't realize this band was making so much getting so much vitriol people were uh. calling i was just like dudes yeah it's poppy like it's gen genty pop stuff but like they write good songs like I, I i just don't i don't understand how anyone can devote any amount of energy to like actively disliking a band you know what i mean <laughs> coming up with reasons why the band is bad like all you have to say is like i, I don't like it it's not for me fuck it done man don't waste another fucking brain cell on explaining or justifying why you don't like it like if it's a band you know mm -hmm. i mean i I mean, I, look, I know we critique things here like this conversation, but I feel like y you critique a movie or something to like as a way of having a conversation about what makes things good. Right. Mm -hmm. But like if your only complaint about a band is that, oh, people I find distasteful also like this band, that's a fucking shitty take. Totally. If that's all you have to say. Like, oh, it's I mean, like, I, I don't know, man, I I don't I've never I've listened to Spirit Box. I don't know if I like them or not. But like if your only complaint is, uh, yeah, again, I don't like it because it reminds me of people I personally find distasteful. Like, that's bullshit. Right. Yeah. Like, they don't fit the typical aesthetic. They don't, you know, whatever. I it's just funny because it, and like it's just a preference thing, right, too, for a lot of things, which is a lot of things. But for music in particular, even within certain scenes, for example, like I like the the metal blog, Angry Metal Guy, got a lot of really good writers. They review like basically every album that comes out top to bottom, which is great. Really good writing, really good analysis generally. And I generally like what they like, especially the main guy, the, you know, famous names, Angry Metal Guy. Like some of his highest reviewed records are Rhapsody records, but he's also like into a ton of other shit. However, they will give periphery records usually like a 0.5 or a one out of five. And like, I don't know why. <laughs> I would just disagree on that point. I think Periphery is a great band. It makes great music. But if you have a chip on your shoulder about like Gent or Metalcore or whatever, then it's like, OK, I guess. But yeah, there's just uh, you, you kind of have to grow out of that. Like we were all there at one point, right? Like the elitist kind of high school, college, like, well, that's not real metal, you piece of shit, whatever. Like it's just gatekeepy bullshit. I hate yeah. that. Like in group, out group shit. Like it's just this is how this is. This is how you this is how you this is how you create fucking uh, authoritarians is it's all about <laughs> the in-group and the no it's true it's, it's yeah if, if, if like in-group out-group like who cares who else likes this thing right because if you're saying oh you're not allowed to like this thing because those people like this thing and they're not like us fuck that shit like it's I mean Look, if you don't like a thing, you don't like a thing. I mean, and, and I think there's times like where there are you can make valid critiques of a band. Like if look, I don't think this band is living up to their potential or look, I think this band, uh, you know, has some pretty shitty takes on things and won't shut up about it. Um, like, but honestly, I just I feel like 
if if you're oh yeah if that's your complaint but also the only thing you the only thing you can say about a band like as a blanket statement that is worthwhile is like you know what i don't really like it <laughs> yeah it doesn't right. it's like i've 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 always felt that like music in in many ways is like uh comedy in that like it, does it make you laugh yes or no that's that's the end of the conversation um you know does is the food do you find the food to be tasty? If not, unless it's going to kill you because it's making you sick, there's not much more of a conversation to have unless we're talking about how to make it better, right? Right, here's which is something think, we can do, right? But Here's where I think you went wrong with this. Here's what I think you were going for, and here's why I think it didn't work. That's a conversation. But saying, I don't like chicken nuggets because babies like chicken nuggets. The fuck is that? Right. Yeah, totally. And I think that also just like slotting things like taking things for where they're what they're trying to be and like not i think people are like sometimes they get so caught in their head about yeah like what's in the in group out group what's true what's not true like i sent you that uh eskimo callboy video yeah and it's like this is like not like this is where i get geeky right this isn't like transcendent music that's being created like I feel when I listen to Violet Cold or more, you know, Mole or whatever. Right. But like, this is a funny thing that someone made that like is kind of catchy and is a funny like juxtaposition of two genres. And you know what? Fine. And but I do think people sometimes forget when they get out of like when it's been a while. Like, I don't know how to explain this. So this actually happened. This was So Eskimo Callboy is a Euro pop meets like kind of throwback metalcore vibe. I don't know deathcore metalcore like vibe and they like make stupid videos and it's funny and it's but kind of catchy anyway my brother-in-law and i were like kind of digging them a little bit and like laughing about it and enjoying it we're like oh man we should like it'd be funny to go see these guys live it's probably a riot so we're checking their touring and i was like there was a band you know that i was thinking about when i listened to the first time that i was they kind of gave me like a a bad taste in my mouth and i was kind of like poo-pooing on that first i was like "Mm, this feels like one of these i couldn't put put my finger on it what it, what it was reminding me of something from like college. And I was just like, oh, this feels like one of those like weird things I don't like. And then we were looking up the tour they're doing next year in the States. And lo and behold, the opener for the tour is infamous attack attack, which I did not oh. know was still a band. I lost my shit when I realized they were still a band. It's like this thought was so funny and unreal. Then I proceeded to go back and watch like the classic, you know, mean mm-hmm. to death crab core, you know, attack deck video. And I was like, Oh no, this is really bad. Like, and thinking like, this is nothing even close to what, and this is the band I was thinking of. Like, you know, when I made a connection, I'm like, no, this is what I was thinking of. But like, this is the worst example of all these genres they're mixing together put into a video and it's ridiculous and it's bad. And that was like kind of a point of crystallization for me of just like, it is bad. However, people liked it at the time. Can't believe they're still a band. People won't still like them. However, I think people in like, the deeper metal community or this is applies to any community. Like you hear similar things that exist. You're like, Oh, this band has, you know, they're being kind of funny about it or they're mixing together electronic electro pop into it. They can't be good. Cause it's just like that. And it's like, if you listen to like an attack attack song and a Eskimo cowboy song, they are two very different things. And therefore you can like one and not the other. And it's okay. <laughs> well, and, and you can, you can like what you like. I mean, sure. there's, it's I mean, like there there is some value in knowing like, yeah, hey, there's certain genres that like so far I haven't really found like any like metalcore or 
screamo that like I really connect with. So generally, if a band is putting out a lot of those vibes, uh, probably I can stay away from that band. You know, same thing with like, uh, you know, like gore grind. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I don't need to hear gore grind. Like, right. it's fine. But if somebody came to me and be like, hey, Greg, I know you're not typically into gore grind, but I think you need to listen to this band. I'm like, all right, check it out. I wouldn't be like, no, I don't like it because I'm not a misogynist. And there's like 10 misogynists that make gore grind. So I'm not doing it, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, like this, this nonsense of like, uh, you know, like, um, <laughs> like, you know, deathcore, like, oh, that's for dumb frat guys. Like, I mean okay but if that's your only reason for not liking it you're being shitty yeah you know and definitely had that mentality for a while and i try not to you know there's definitely things that fall into areas that i feel like are like quote unquote bad to me because it's just like low effort or formulaic or whatever doesn't interest me but definitely trying to yeah get that like that's for stupid people like mentality out of out of my thought process yeah, I um uh or well and, and I mean I know I was criticizing well I wasn't criticizing. I wasn't criticizing Archspire when I was like, ah, oh, when I saw the way that dude <laughs> like I don't think that's a criticism. It's an observation and an admission on my part of like I can't seem to not think about that. For some reason, that makes me cringe and I can't not think about that now. Uh, but that's on me. That's not a criticism of the band. That's, you know, or that's not me saying like, oh, they're not metal because their singer clearly has some hip hop influence in his aesthetics. Sure. Like, oh, or or like, I'm I mean, I'm so exhausted by the does X count as metal thing because uh -huh. it's like, who? I mean, honestly, who gives a shit? Like, what are you not allowed? What, if it's not metal, are you not allowed to listen to it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's fun from like a, a shooting the shit kind of way to talk about well, stuff. Yeah. But and if and if and if by having that conversation, we reach a greater understanding of like what what makes something metal. Right. If we come to an understanding, you know, some deeper understanding of like, what are the things that make up this nebulous idea? Like, that's interesting. But at the end of the day, if you're using that conversation as a way to like either say a certain a certain fan is not a real fan and is not one of us because they listen to metal that is not metal. That's shitty. Or like trying to just say like a certain band is not worth consideration because they do not fit my definition. You know, that's that's shitty. That's also shitty. Yeah, totally. And I think that definitely there's a large just my life would be like, if it's not metal, I don't like it, you know, kind of thing. Or I will never like it. And like, I definitely tried to like move past that to the reverse. Right. Like, it's like I tend to like this. Yes. And when other things are offered and I have an impression on them, I probably and it's not metal. I will probably not be interested in it, but it's not it's it's, you know, it's the cart leading the horse versus the horse leading the cart. Right. It's right. like I seek things out that are in areas I know because just like with food, it's like I know I like these kind of flavors generally. So I seek these out or whatever. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to try something new. It doesn't mean I'm not going to instantly turn my nose up at something if it's not what, you know, if it doesn't get categorized right. that way or it's whatever. An, it's an understanding of my of of my general preferences, but it is not right. a, a you know, it is not a way to make a blanket statement, especially when we're when we're making that statement based on who we think likes the thing. Yeah. Or yeah. what other people or or if oh if I like the thing, then I might be uh, expelled from the in group. So I must not like the thing in order to maintain my cred. Um, once you get into that shit, man, that that way lies fascism. 
I'm yeah. not joking about that. Well, and like, just also just like getting older, more mature. It's just like, I just don't like my crib with whom? Like my three best friends that have been friends for 20 years that like, are they going to like, give me shit for liking a band or two, but like only in jest, right? You right. know, it's, you know, should I was talking about more in a car, more like academic, like she'll point like one of her favorite bands is thrice. And like, thrice is fine. They're not like my jam, but it's whatever. But there's a lot of sections that like sound a lot like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Just like they just have some things that the vocalists sound very similar, the phrasing, some of the atmosphere they make. And we'll play both and we'll kind of try and go back and forth and be like, why do you like this and you don't like this? And like, what makes this? And I'll be like, oh, one of the things the defining about our metal episode, like defining traits around metal is like having riffs and like thrice doesn't have riffs. And hmm. therefore I get bored. And like this style of like guitar strumming they do during all these parts is something that I don't find particularly interesting. And therefore I get kind of bored, even though like right. musically it's not like there's sonically a lot of things in, in line with the ocean or that kind of vibe that more, I don't know how you describe that vibe, but post metal post rock kind of thing. Yeah, sure. But um, it's just, it's just different. And right. trying I, to identify the differences and then being able to then, you know, engage with that can help you a define what you like, and what you don't like, but also b help you understand why you don't like something. And that might actually lead you to liking it. Right. Right. Almost yes. wrapping the full way, full way around being like, oh, I don't like this because example, similar thing, like the reverse, actually. And this is the same kind of thing you had with the art spire situation. I saw a band and I'm blanking on their name. They're like a fairly big, like proggy deathcore band. Is it all shall Paris? One of those, something like that. They opened for BT Bam. And I was like, I'll go. You know, I listened to one or two of their albums. And I was like, this is pretty good. Like, I can dig this. Then I saw them live and it was just like all the guitar wankery, all the progginess was like not really emphasized or appreciated on stage. Mm-hmm. And it was just all about like the slammy breakdowns. That was what the crowd was into. That was what the band were into. And I was just like, ah, I can't listen to this anymore. Like, yeah, because now you have an association with it that you didn't like. Right. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and it's funny. Yeah. But I mean, as long as these these conversations like, yeah, they help you. Lead, they lead you to a deeper appreciation of what you like and what you don't like. That's valuable. If you're using it just as a way to, like, prove you are cooler than somebody else or um uh you know that you are a part of the the cool kids club because you like or don't like then that's fucking shitty like yep. it's uh tribalism which is about the fascism well it's it's well if you it's you know people people wonder how like people can move from like a punk rock scene into like reactionary ism it's like well it's because a lot of punk honestly a lot of is is it can be very clickish and you know, if you are drawn to, you know, an in-group, out-group type mentality, like you might like find yourself liking punk because especially the way punk was in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. I don't know how things are today because, you know, I'm a, a decaying mummy, but like <laughs> a lot of it was, you know, a purity testing about who was punk and who wasn't and, and who you was get it or you don't get it and all that shit. And it's like. If you're into it because you love that, you love that gatekeeping and you love that purity testing, like, yeah, man, you're prime fucking candidate uh, to get converted to some to some bullshit. Um, if if you base your membership in a scene based on who's in and who's out and you find yourself being one of those guys who's always, you know, arguing about who's in, who's out. Ooh, that's a little. Uh, what do the kids say? Sussy. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I never thought about that way. That's a really good way, really interesting way to think about it. Yeah, it's it's a I, it's it's something I've become more aware of. I've seen you know a lot of you know more lefty commentators, and you you realize like, oh, this isn't actually about ideology for you. This is more about you want to be the person who decides who's a cool kid and who isn't, and you want to have arguments about why so and so is not a true leftist or what have you, and you know you start to see like, oh, this is. This is just reactionary sentiment. You're just you're just establishing a a, uh, a list of the pure and a list of the um, of the degenerates. And that's what this is about for you. And you could very easily switch sides if if you found the you know, if, if all you have to switch is who's pure and who's degenerate and you'd be just as happy keeping that gate on the other side. Right. Yeah. And, th- and that exists in so many like it's so common in. I mean, music's a great area, but even like in other areas of nerd culture, right? Like, yeah, all the stuff with gaming, all the stuff with like even just like books and media. It's like, oh, my God, I was fucking uh, I was reading. And- Don't do it, by the way. I was on the Wheel of Time subreddit and I was reading some of the responses to like just like people's comments about the most recent episodes. And so there's these you probably remember from the book. There's um, the first book they go and those they go through these um like special gateways to enter like basically a different dimension that they can travel quickly mm-hmm. through and mm-hmm. it's called the ways and it's super scary and whatever well anyway they're at the end of the last episode they leave to do that thing but in this version moraine is like she uses the power to like open the gate as opposed to like using the mechanism they use in the books and it changes a couple things but it's like really inconsequential at least as far as i remember and the one fucking comment was like, and people are just up, up in arms about this. Just like, I don't know why it has plot implications, blah, blah. And then one guy just like said the quiet part. I was like, well, clearly this is just like, you know, them trying to push diversity and like women power. I'm like, oh, my fucking God, dude. It's just like that kind of shit just starts to creep up. And you're like, oh, man, here it is right here. Yep. It's like, dude, no, dude, it's because they have fucking 14 books to condense and they're trying to eliminate some of the fucking eat like low-hanging fruit of things it's like well she does magic let her do the magic on the thing to make the magic thing work like that just makes sense and who gives a shit if they are doing like if they were sitting in that room and said you know what i i think you know if uh i think this would be a good opportunity to give to give a woman something to do in this book in this story and they said ah that's a you know that's a that's that's good let's do that who gives a shit uh and probably secretly this guy's mad because there was a lot of gay stuff in this episode greg and you know we all feel about that. Yeah. Um, the problem is they can't argue with that because it was like not overtly like displayed in the books, but like there's some pretty heavy subtext around it. And well, and I feel like saying to these fucking chuds, like, honestly, if you thought the point of this book was who was doing what with their underpants meat, <laughs> you were reading a very fucking different book. If you think that's important. <laughs> totally. If, if you thought that this was like, oh, you're changing too much, like you can go, you can fuck right off. Like this is not a, this is not a trenchant analysis of like all of that shit, all of that like reactionary, like you're doing this, you know, like questioning motives of like why something exists in art, which is really just an excuse to be like, hey, I'm a reactionary. Can somebody come pat me on the back for being a reactionary, please? <laughs> please. If not. Can somebody say something cringy so I can screen cap it and then my other reactionary friends can pat me on the back for being a reactionary? Like, <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I can't stand it. It's, it's, um, like, yeah, it's a change. And yeah, it's a change in a direction that could be interpreted as progressive. But even if they did it for progressive reasons, 
Like, why do you care? Why does that matter? Because if you're about, oh, I'm just trying to protect the purity. It's like, was this thing an inherently conservative work to begin with? And you're protecting the preser- protecting the purity because you're protecting the original ideology? Or are you just like, did you really think that that was, that was important here? That that was really what this book is about is, you know, making sure that nobody does yucky stuff with their underpants. Like, that's what you thought Wheel of Time was about? Because this change is the critical one that you're upset about? Because this is this is this is the bridge too far. Right. Are we reading the same book? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's fascinating. I mean, I think that unfortunately there is every community has, you know, diff- every fandom has like, you know, pockets of like, yeah, intense reactionaryism or intense progressivism, you know, right. in, in different areas. And like, I find it fascinating when they kind of come into conflict where it's like, especially in sort of the reductive way that our current society is kind of viewing like media where it's like things are either bad and they're canceled or they're good and they're woke. And there's a lot of like in between season there. I think Sonny did it, you know, the first ep- first episode, two episodes of Sonny do a pretty good job of poking at that a little bit. And, yeah. you know, I feel like something like example, Wheel Time, it's like, remember Jordan, there's some weird gender stuff in his books. Dude was a Southern conservative, like for sure. Went to like a weird kind of conservative military academy however the showrunner of the show is a very openly gay man who's you know twitter is just like all rainbows and lgbt stuff so it's just like clearly there's like some it's not inherently parts of it at least were meaningful to this person he says directly to him like accepting himself as being gay and coming out so like well how do you find that middle ground and like pool like you know baby in the bathwater situation like you know and there's extremes on both ends that like you just no, we're not doing this. Like, I mean, number one, let's I mean, there's I mean, if you don't like the changes, go with God, go go read the book and interpret your own your own ideology into it to your heart's content. You don't have to you don't have to like the adaptation. Uh, if 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 the only reason you don't like it is because it's too gay, well, then you can go fucking walk into the ocean. If that's if that's if that's it, if that was the line for you, right. uh, then, then you know, set the controls for the heart of the sun. Um, but uh, I, I mean, there are there are things that are over, there are works within sci fi and fantasy that are overtly political. Heinlein, for example, had a lot of like a lot of his stuff was like, hey, I'm using this story to talk about my libertarianism. Sure. Fine. Very clear. It's obvious. You can you can choose to enjoy it. You can choose to not enjoy it, whatever. Uh, I mean, I I am of the position that everything contains ideology to some extent. Totally. Because every work of fiction contains to some degree an idea of how the world is and how the world should be. And there's a gap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and by saying, here's how the world should be, that is ideological. Um, but it's I keep coming back to like the Wheel of Time. Like, there's nothing about the Wheel of Time that is core to that thing that is about heterosexual relationships being important and the only way things should be. Right? Uh, there is gender stuff, but um, it seems like the show knows what it's doing there. Um, but even there are adaptations that actually subvert the original work, like Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers movie. Yeah, is a satire of the militarism in the original Starship Troopers 
totally story like you can do it you can do it and if you don't like the movie and you like the book great you can read the book all day you don't have to watch the movie it's it's this it's the same like fanboyish idea that i that i hate of like like people want a movie version of their thing because they feel like it legitimizes the thing Mm -hmm. like oh i can't wait for the last of us movie it's like why the the game was great the story the, the the game told the story in a great way what would a what would a movie add to this and the answer is nothing but it would make me feel like the thing i like is big and important and that would make me feel good um and it's the same kind of thing of like the adaptation must be true to my interpretation of it it must validate my interpretation of it uh otherwise it's wrong and bad as opposed to just well that's an interpretation of this thing it's different from mine but whatever just because amazon filmed that interpretation doesn't mean that interpretation is the right interpretation but it's this fanboy sense of like i'm deeply offended because this doesn't match my vision right like it's this refusal to accept that like your vision of the thing and the interpret and and this new adaptation of the thing can coexist like there is only one canon and we must all support it like it's this fucking nonsense like just just like or don't like things <laughs> uh he says at the end of a podcast where we spent three hours talking about th- things and well right but again it's this <laughs> thing of like why are you having the conversation are you having the conversation as a way to better understand the thing? Or are you having a conversation to just get to the bottom of whether or not it's acceptable to like the thing? Right. Yeah, totally. And like, there's so much room. I think that's what adaptations do great is it's a, re- it's a, you know, I, I once again recommend listening to, you know, the Sanderson podcast about a lot of adaptations throughout it. And in the Wheel of Time episode, he talks about kind of like his, you know, he has to like, codify everything in his brain right that's how his brain works like he's like there is a scale of adaptations that you know there's different kinds of adaptations he mentions the starship troopers where it's like a direct satire or parody then then there's a kind of a spectrum of like quote-unquote like accuracy and then one hand they put you know on the far far limit on one side they put the first harry potter movie which is more or less a, a scene by scene recreation of the first book it's kind of boring because of that hmm <laughs> And then he puts at the other end, like The Shining, which is, I guess, I haven't read or watched the movie, read the book or watched the movie. But he says it's like quite a different reimagining of the tale, tale, but still true to like the themes and yeah, the idea, the idea of it. And he puts something like Lord of the Rings kind of in the middle where it's like maybe, you know, it's it's very different. And he's like, and people forget that like when Fellowship first came out, it was fucking really divisive. There was a lot of gatekeeping going on. Yeah. Where now it's like a considered like, you know, a masterpiece of our modern cinematic, you know, canon. Right. Um, and the other the other guy, Dan, he brought up a really good point that like or I wanted to say first was that my friend who is a big wheel time junkie. It's like that's like his series. You know, like he read it. When he was a kid. He's read it multiple times through. And he was a little bit having I think he's having a little bit of a hard time with the show not being, you know, what he imagined. But we spent a lot of time talking about it. And then, we, you know, you kind of come to realize like, oh, you imagined it this way. I always kind of imagined it that way. And like you realize that like there isn't a set thing. And like even amongst two people who are kind of similar reading the book are going to see it, visualize things different ways. Yeah. And I think that adaptations play a really fun role in like exploring that 
and being like, oh, I, don't, I wouldn't think of it that way. And like, you're allowed to like disagree. Right. And you're allowed to like not like it. But the like I said, it's just the gatekeeping. And right. the other thing that Dan pointed out in the podcast was like, he said, like, he's like, I've only read like the first real time book. He's like, I like the show. I think it's cool. Um, Overall, he's like, but I worry that like the deep fans are going to like, you know, squander this. He's like, this is a this is an, a decent adaptation of something you like. If this doesn't work out because a bunch of fanboys are review bombing it and stuff like you're not getting another wheel of time show anytime soon. But right. But he's like, t- you know, not that you should just accept junk. Like, don't just take what you can get. But like, this is a, a reasonable attempt to do something and maybe try and see it for what it is, as opposed to exactly what you had in mind. <laughs> but it's it's I mean, there's 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 absolutely conversations to be had about like, you know, choices that could have been made differently and why this would have been better or why that would have been better, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. Those are all valid conversations, but it is never a valid conversation of whether it is acceptable to like or dislike the thing. Mm -hmm. People are allowed to like or dislike things for whatever reasons they want, Uh, unless that reason is I don't like it because the people who like it make me mad. Uh, that's bullshit. <laughs> right. Um, get a better think harder um, uh, or actually liberate yourself. You will find more joy in life if you start thinking only about how you feel about the thing, not about how you feel about what other people feel about the thing. Uh, you know, who else likes this? You'll you'll open yourself up to more joy um, by ridding yourself of that burden. But um, yeah. but like if if you don't like the Wheel of Time because it's too gay that's a bullshit opinion, but like you're don't try to talk other people into not liking it because it's too gay. Right. You know what I mean? Like let them like what they like mm-hmm. and they'll let you not like it. Right. Or they should. I mean, again, like it's OK to like it's also OK to like things that you disagree with politically. Like um, uh, like there's a lot of movies out there like uh, honestly, um, what's his name? Uh, George Milius, who made the Conan movies. Um, uh, you know, pretty much a reactionary nut job and the Conan movies are kind of reactionary nut, nut. So, but I like those movies. It's okay. It's okay to like things that you disagree with politically. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a good practice to like recognize that you do disagree with it and what it is, you know, putting it all in context. But also John Schaefer from Iced Earth tried to literally overthrow the United States government, <laughs> but horror show still fucking slaps. <laughs> Can't argue there. Um, although I probably say Night of the Storm Rider, but you know, Look, there's stuff. a lot of there's a lot of good Ice Earth albums out there. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. A lot of bad ones too. Um, but yeah. and people have to kind of navigate those choices themselves. I guess I struggle with I struggle with the opposite. I'm in I'm an opposite gatekeeper. I'm like, especially when it comes to food. Uh, my friends, I'm always just like, oh, you should you should try and you know try this again. You should try and like this. Blah blah. blah. Like or even sometimes like with bands, I'm like, oh, you should you should try and like this band. Like because like. It brings me so much joy. I want to. But that's good because 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 look, if you're right, you have now exposed someone to something that will bring them joy. You've increased the overall amount of joy in the world. If you're wrong and they don't like it, you've they they, they have added one more disappointing lunch onto a <laughs> lifetime of disappointing lunches. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like whatever. It's the same thing of like, like, again, like music reviews that end with a like, should you listen to it or not? It's like it will cost you three minutes to listen to the first track on this record. <laughs> and then you'll know whether or not you like this. Right. And honestly, you'll probably know in the first 10 seconds. 
whether or not this is for you. Trying it has cost you nothing. Why do I need to? I mean, like, and now that we live in a world where music is free, it's like, who gives a shit? Like, hey, listen to this. You might like it. Okay, I do. Great. Okay, you don't. I have literally forgotten about the hundreds of bands that you or Jordan or whoever has sent me. And I was like, eh, not for me. I've forgotten about all of them. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess my my flaw my uh, is when I, you know, try you don't let up. You're like, no, no, you really got to like try <laughs> to like it, like because it's particularly when we're when I'm talking, you know, when like you're you're kind of pushing when you're talking to someone who's maybe it's a little outside of like their normal zone or their comfort zone. You know, it's like sometimes things take a little bit to like, you know, your 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 gut reaction might not be the one you trust or your initial aversion, something to look past. And that's something I kind of like have to I'm trying to temper myself in doing that. Yeah, but that can I'm be valuable. Asshole about it. But but that can be valuable, too. Like if I if I know enough about you and your taste to be able to say something like now, Andrew, I know when you listen to this at first, you're going to be turned off by the vocals. But I'm telling you, I want you to I want you to push through it because I think you're once once you get used to that vocal, you're really going to like this band. Right. I've demonstrated to you that I understand your taste and I've preempted and and I'm and I'm trying to help you enjoy this. Right. Using what I know about you, I'm going to try to help you enjoy this and get over your objectives. Right. Because I know you and I'm, I'm contributing now. That's helpful. You know, you're you're helping me learn how to enjoy this thing um, as opposed to just like going the other way, which is like you should like this because um, sophisticated people like this. And don't you want to be a sophisticated person? You know, right. Yeah, that's a good distinction to make. We went down a rabbit hole, didn't we? We did. It is very late. It is very late. We and I'm to supposed go. to go on a 10 mile hike tomorrow. Holy shit. Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah. Uh Maybe give hey, yourself an extra half I'm hour. At a, I, I'm at a point now in my mania where a tenor is like, that's eh, like a medium. Jesus. Uh, well, I hope you're tempering our hike with, I mean, I can hike, but. Uh, I think we're going to do, uh, I think it's, it's going to be like five and a half, six miles if we, unless we uh, make any detours and not even a thousand feet of elevation. No, that's nothing. I mean, we could do more. <laughs> no, that sounds good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this was fun. This was fun. It's good to catch up. Yep. I'll post this sometime uh, sometime in the summer. Okay. Yeah. I'll see you, you know, 2023, maybe around yeah. to it. All right. Um, you probably have some lame excuse around like, oh, well, it wasn't working for, you know, 18 months. So I had to like put it in the back. <laughs> well, look, ADHD is fucking weird, man. <laughs> Once something once something it. falls off the list, it's very difficult to get it back on the list. <laughs> I, I understand that. <laughs> All right, yeah. man. See you later. Go watch Spider-Man. Yep. Later. Later.